0: I've heard your name a million times growing up. Um, how do I spell it? I really it? don't know. Yeah, how do you spell it? That's the biggest problem I'm Well, having. you know
1: what? I Actually, my name is Robert Daniel Bailey. Okay. And, uh, you know, some friends at uh, CKCO-TV where I worked, uh, they just came back from Billy Bob's in Texas, and everybody was Bob, right? And so they started calling me Dan Bob, right? And there were people, because my name is Dan Bailey, that's what I was going by. Yeah, yeah. They actually thought my last name was Bob because I'd sign my scripts D or Dan B.
0: Oh, <laughs> right? that's hilarious. So,
1: yeah. But actually, it's Robert Daniel. But my parents, you know, chose to uh, use my middle name. Anyway, that's a short story. Uh, yeah, so you're going to ask me and I Oh, no, I was... Uh, no, question. God, oh, my
0: God. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm here to learn a ton of stuff about you. So oh. he, he, you guys may talk away, but I, I'm just... I'm learning. I'm right. learning some things. So My brother's name is Robert Timothy.
1: Say. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah,
2: They, they call him Tim. Yeah. yeah. Never, ne- no one's ever called him Robert.
1: Well, my grandfather was Robert Cecil. My father was Robert Carl. I'm Robert Daniel. And my oldest son is Robert Scott. Nice. But we've all gone with our second oh. names. So, so your Where son
0: goes he? by Scott as well. Where yeah. does the Robert come from?
1: I don't know. Okay. No, one, no one ever told me. <laughs> that's all <your laughs> okay well, Robert uh, Frost
0: Danny uh if you see me you may see me taking yeah. pictures of you yeah, things no, like that no worries. uh and if I'm texting away yeah. that's all that's my girlfriend no but, I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> no 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 that's
1: me talking to Deanna behind the wall there so oh wow that's you know what communications kind of it just blows me away and you know what I'm envious of you I mean to have the availability for all the technical stuff that we had in our day, but it cost thousands of dollars. It weighed a ton. It was just like, you know. I hate it, man. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody at any time can get a
0: hold of me any way possible. Yeah. I, well,
1: I mean. I am i don't know. I, I'm talking more about the creative, you know, like making movies and TV. Okay. And, and, and I that, that, you know, and it's just sure. like, you know, what you have available, what you can buy at the corner store and, and bring it all together. 100%. I mean, First of all, when I started in television, the uh, the state.
2: This is all going on in the podcast. You know, I haven't even introduced this. No, I,
0: I I realize that it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but either way. No. But anyway, we were
1: using NTSC five five twenty five lines, which is like over half or the degraded resolution of ten eighty, right? Okay. You know, I mean, you could sit at the TV screen and you'd see the red, blue, and green dots, and you could see black. All the way around it, which was no information, right? So, I mean, I started my career shooting video when it was just becoming portable. Right. And I'm, it's unfortunate that I, I actually didn't, uh, have the availability of, of shooting 1080 you know because i look at my stuff even stuff that i shot of view back then mm-hmm. and you look at the quality now and you just go like holy hell. yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> it's yeah. like crazy but now you know even when i'm looking at 4k i'm just like and and i've seen beyond that as well and it's just like whoa i mean i, I thought by now we'd have holograms but you know i mean we're right <laughs> around the corner of you yeah, know that's, like
0: that's like literally around the corner
1: Yeah, it's like uh, Fahrenheit 451. Can you imagine
2: watching an action movie and it actually running through your living room? Well, yeah,
1: Yeah. exactly. And, you know, I mean, I've worn virtual goggles and went through a rice paddy field down at uh, the Google place, uh, Mm. uh, Communitech. And that, you know, first time you ever wear goggles like that in 3D and, you know, just get that sense of, of an environment that's digital but totally different, man. It's like, yeah, it really makes your mind open up a long way, you That's know. Awesome. Yeah, totally. Well, hey, but, but, D, but, Well, listen, yeah.
2: I thought we were going again with my friend Robert Daniel Danny <laughs> Bailey, but we're, <laughs> but we're we're not going again. We're just continuing <laughs> with Danny. <laughs> this That's is so awesome. Good. I'm so glad you're here.
1: Hey, you know what? I mean, it's been years since we've seen each other, and we were like toddlers, I think, when we first Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's
2: funny. I was just thinking, uh, you first met Andrew 35 years ago.
1: Yeah, you know what? I mean, uh, it was amazing to hear that story.
0: Man, I remember it like it was yesterday.
1: Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my fake. diaper was full. <laughs> I remember. <Yeah. laughs> it was a hot day. Well, you know what? Uh, and and you can maybe explain what we were doing that day.
2: No, I don't care to. I, we were crashed a car into a bicycle and, and he screamed. Though, well, was,
1: we, can, we can, you know what? I mean, that's the first time I ever met you. So why don't we just open right up with that? And then we can deviate.
2: Don't, don't tell me what to do, Danny.
1: No, okay. Um, so, <laughs> How I Met Your Father. Um, well, that'd be a good oh, title for a screenplay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, I was a cameraman at CKCO-TV in downtown Kitchener, and we had um, a female host, Betty Thompson, rest her soul, yes. uh, who hosted a morning show. And I don't know how you got involved no idea. with making connections with her. No idea. Um, But you know what? When I think back, it could have been... Like, I remember... Do you remember uh, John and Sheila Schwartz in Tilsenberg? Yes, of course. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So Moose. We 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 were there. My friend
2: Moose. Uh, Andy's uh, cousin. Yeah, Andy's
1: cousin. And uh, so anyway, we were down there, and I remember one time we were at their place, and we're looking over a script that you had written or whatever. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, maybe that's when we connected, and then I brought you in or it could very well you be you know, Danny.
2: i don't remember i was running the karate club at the time right you know, the big kung fu school
1: yeah no i mean i was amazed at uh you know meeting somebody who'd actually written a screenplay i mean
2: <laughs> yeah and one that wrote it so well <laughs> yeah
1: yeah <laughs> well how many have you written 17 you, is that right eh? and did have any of them been optioned
2: um one's the poster behind you um that was made that i directed which turned out to be a piece of crap um Oh, well, one other one was optioned, and it reverted back to me a couple of years later. And then uh, I spent the rest of my life falling down and telling people to fall down and light myself on fire.
1: Yeah, I mean, so you haven't even been pushing your old Not stuff. Not at all,
2: no. I, I'm rewriting a couple of things right now, actually. Yeah,
1: totally great. Yeah,
2: and Andrew's also a writer. He's got some incredible stuff. I wrote film, he writes TV, and it's some of his stuff is incredible.
1: Wow. Well, good luck on that, man. It's awfully sweet. No, yeah. it's just
2: true. It's no, it's yeah. a
1: fact. So, getting back right. to this story at CKCO TV, um, the uh, the host of our show, Betty Thompson, was going to do a feature on your dad, Randy. And okay. uh, so we're at the corner. I remember exactly where we were: um, King Street and Scott Street, right downtown. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> anyway, the the scene opens up with Betty on camera going, "Today I'm supposed to be interviewing this guy named Randy Butcher." Where is he? He's supposed to be here, you know, like 13 minutes ago or whatever, like that. And then all of a sudden, this limousine just tears around the corner. Back door opens up with the car's moving, and your dad rolls up, brushes himself off, and goes, "Sorry, I'm a little late, Betty."
3: <laughs> <laughs> shit happens. Isn't and, it from that we photo had, there that no, day?
2: No, that's uh, that's a car show. Oh,
0: why did I think that was the And day? there
1: was no rehearsal or anything. It was like, you know, we talked, I think, just a bit before that, and we had somebody maybe cue the limo, you know, to make the timing right. But right. we hadn't practiced anything. It was just like all on the fly, one take. You either get it or, you know, you don't really. And um, so after that opening part, we actually went around the corner to the back of what was then the Three Minute Deli.
2: Yeah, between the Three Minute Deli and the Karate Club. That's and, right. and
1: Yeah, and it was uh, an open parking lot, and... CKCO had a great reputation of uh, going to uh, the 3 Minute Deli all the time, so I think we got permission to have that parking lot closed off, or either you did or whatever. But, I mean, I look back and we know we're going
3: to do a burn. You know, we go to this tin garage, aluminum
1: garage, that was next door to the parking lot at the 3 Minute Deli, and betty thompson was interviewing randy on the on the top of the uh, the garage and as they're kibitzing back and forth you know betty's laughing at whatever randy uh, said and it sort of gives him a, a comedic slap like you know you and then your dad falls off the roof and she's like you know doing the uh <laughs> local the talk ha- shows what what <laughs> happened right and your dad fell into boxes below and then after that, uh, there was another stunt guy that worked with your dad, and he had a bicycle that he rode right into an oncoming car and rolled off the vehicle. And, okay. then, and then for the final attraction, we're going to do a burn. So um, I shot your dad prepping the whole, you know, before and then during the burn. And then, you know, after, you know, you tore off a, a terrible suit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, totally. It was you, like you don't buy a new. It was suit. like off the rack at Salvation <laughs> Army uh-huh. or something, and totally. and as you said, you know, like you were looking, I think, at the label at the time, going, "Let's not get that brand again" or whatever. I <laughs> I totally know. It was so funny, but uh yeah, so w- your dad gave us a burn, and uh, that was it. We sort of solidified a, a really neat you know, relationship at that time. Okay. And uh you know, I was following his career, and we actually hooked up again. Um, from the videotape that I taped yesterday or transferred, it was um, September 3rd, 1987. Okay. And you were involved with the um, Hollywood stunt show that was showing live at the Paris Fairgrounds during, oh, right. during the fair.
2: Ooh, right, a okay. picture of which is behind you on the wall and I'm on fire and you're actually silhouetted in front of me.
1: Yeah, which, which was amazing for me at the time as mm. well. Um, it was you know a hollywood stunt show it was a lot like um, the hell drivers or whatever they had precision driving they had these police cars they had the clown who you know dragged himself through the fire for and, sure you know all the all the regular imperial or hell driver yeah. you know oh, things yeah. integrated yeah. into your dad actually doing a couple of stunts one which was it the perch i don't remember but anyway that's rickety old like oh that thing. eight foot perch your dad got <laughs> on top of it, and then a car comes and drives underneath and your dad falls off of it right if you see the structure i don't know who built that thing but i mean it was meant meant yeah, to fall the, apart the, i think the stunt <laughs> was standing on it yeah yeah <laughs> but you know i mean i think what's so great about just seeing this footage you probably haven't seen it yet no um, not that i'm aware is that you know i mean you see the youth in your dad and he's like you know and then most of the time i didn't talk to him it wasn't like you know when i was shooting him and going how does that smell or you know how's that feel or get trying to get some communication because most of the time i could see in his eyes that he was somewhere else right and especially when we're backstage which was just behind the racetrack at the paris fairgrounds of the grandstand live show right um He's pacing around. He's listening to what's going on. He's trying to figure out the timing of pre- preparation and just you know being there on, on the moment when he needs to come to perform. So he has to back time all that preparation, right? So I think we even prepped a little too early because I know you were kind of antsy as, as well, no, walking it's around the with 80s the glue. It's probably cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so anyway. The great thing was, is that it was, you know, a Hollywood stunt show and I had a camera. So, I mean, I sort of like was a secondary background actor, you know, because the announcers going and the cameras will be rolling, you know, and I'm walking out behind your dad. And, and then I don't know what it is, but for those two burns, there was always a problem trying to get the suit lit and on fire It's like whoever was in charge of the lighter couldn't get the uh, little torch, you know, lit. And I think both times they just took the lighter and went up to the back leg, (laughs) your back leg, and, you know, started it. And then you, like, helped it, you know, move around to get it, you know, infernal. Live shows in the
2: wind that night. Yeah, yeah. And so so
1: anyway, I mean, what was amazing for me and what I love in the job that I do is that I, I get to go behind the scenes. I get like my camera is a license to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and I always loved that part of the job. I mean, it was exhilarating just to know that without the camera, I would never be able to do what I'm doing. Right. And that time in Paris with your burn, like I was like five feet away from you. when I was like, you know, trying to dance with you at that time that, yeah. you know, you wouldn't fall into me or yeah. whatever. But I mean, it's crazy when I think back that stuff like that wouldn't happen today, you know, no. with all the insurance violations. It would have, you know, impossible. That's true. Yeah, it's you know, a different mean, for sure. I mean, even like when we uh, did the burn in the parking lot behind the three-minute deli, we had no EMS, we had no filming permits, we Shh. nobody. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was back in the day. I mean, you know, you wouldn't even think about walking down a set of railway tracks to do a shot, you know, of something or whatever with totally and getting permission it was always you know um one of the sacred lines in my life was shoot first ask questions later yes. right oh. So it's cinematic community, you know <laughs> by the time you ask permission you know you've killed yourself man because it's a lot of wasted of time there's a chain of events that sometimes it has to go up through for permission and Total all that totally. so you know i would rather bullshit my way out of it at the end of the you know knowing i've got what i had in the can already so
2: yeah, I've, right had to, I've had to light myself on fire for other events, one of which you shot for the Kitchener Film Festival? Yeah, the Grand River
3: Film um, Festival. But
2: the the hoops you have to jump through when you... I was putting them out that day, actually. That's true. Yeah, you were. Yeah, right, was there. So, um, but yeah, the hoops you have to jump through to do that in a public forum with permission.
1: Yes. Um, well, I mean, yeah, because you guys had fire... F- the fire department so the fire there, department and department. it was all you know, screened off or whatever, yeah. fenced off.
2: So enough about me, Danny, <laughs> for Christ's sake. <laughs> yeah.
0: What's well, cool, you, man?
2: What, it's okay, cool. So, <laughs> he's
0: behind the camera, so he's talking yeah. about what he shot. Yeah, let's talk yeah. about some. Look of into this stuff. camera. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's talk
2: about some of the stuff you've shot. Like, come on, like you you've, you're you've been all over the world, the Olympics, Grand Prix.
1: Yeah, yeah. Go. Um, um, okay, uh, I don't know where to start. Okay, you know, so I'm not no, really good at you, talking about myself. but
2: You sent me, a, a, which I've not been able to see yet, you DP'd a, a show at some point in Europe, is that correct?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Um, it was called Photo Explorers. Okay. Um, I had a great friend that I work with in Toronto, Claude Barnes, with Keep It in the Family Productions. Mm-hmm. And um, he had a show back... I'm trying to think, probably early, Mm mid-2000s. And it was called Behind the Camera. And it was stories about photographers and videographers. And, you know, a cool show was for Bravo TV at the time when they actually played arts. Okay. Um, Anyway, one of the segments that he shot was with these guys called uh, DK Photo Group. And basically, they explored abandoned buildings and shot what they call trying to get the art out of the decay. So it was all about lighting. It was all about location. It was all about detail. It was all about abandonment. It was like, you know, decaying everything. It could be a factory. It could be a house. It could be a hospital. It could be um, a China factory. Um, so we uh, hooked up with these guys. There were uh, four of them or five of them. Anyway, and we went to Europe. And we had connected through photographers over there. To give us the lowdown of some of the great locations where we could still, you know, infiltrate and right. and actually get into and and you know, without, make, and without permission, art, without permission, I love and that. make art, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I mean, uh, I'm trying to think right now. The name of the place it escapes me, but we had a. Yeah. Did you want to just stop for a no, second?
0: Oh, one second. Is it is it your headphones? Yeah, yeah, mine too. Yeah, mine too. All right. Well, maybe we'll just
1: yeah. It's all right.
0: Relax for a second. But I'm just like losing half of my headphone. Yeah,
1: just one side. Yeah, it's a little crackly. I, I mean, it doesn't bother me as long as the yeah. audio is, you know, yeah, I like can handle this. Anyway.
2: Yeah. Sorry, guys. Ah,
0: keep talking. Let's no go. No worries,
1: man. What's the budget? (laughs) You're looking at it. Okay. Okay, um, Where will I pick it up? Okay. So, five photographers, we go to Europe and uh, (laughs) I think we did Germany, Belgium, Holland. And uh, so anyway, um, yeah, there was one place that was just down from where the Battle of the Bulge had been fought. Okay. It's sort of like it's near Holland but in Belgium,
0: the Battle of the Bulge.
1: Bulge, yeah. It okay. was a, it's history. Yeah, totally. It's like one of the yeah, most famous. I would
0: imagine there's, but movies. I don't know of it. There's movies.
1: And what's cool as cool. well is that there, at the crossroads, there's an old tank there as well that you know commemorates uh, mm. the battle there. But anyway, um, there was this huge chateau that was built not far from there.
0: That's house in French. <laughs> Copy that. <laughs>
1: Okay. And I mean, this thing, this thing was cra- I mean was so huge, like some rich guy built it. I don't even know if it was finished by the time he passed away or uh-huh. whatever. But yeah, maison
0: is house, chateau is probably villa or something bigger.
1: But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. So the it, it's been abandoned for years. In the in the uh, Second World War, the Germans had actually occupied it, and then after the war, it became like this uh boys home Hmm. and then that uh i guess went under whatever and it's just been sitting there decaying isn't that a shame Hmm. yeah i mean if you see this place you just go my god so we knew Hmm. we could probably get in but we knew as well that there was a caretaker that lived on the property so we had to be stealth enough to to actually get through so we parked a long way away from where we're gonna uh get into the uh the chateau the property and i mean there were old wires around we didn't know if they were like for security or whatever and so we made our way and we would at that time it was just when google maps became popular so we were able to actually pinpoint where we were according to the the actual building and uh, so we finally got up to the building and we got in through this side door which was all busted in and went into the basement and was when I crazy? say stealth, yeah, when I say stealth, I'm, I'm going, you know, like, don't talk. Okay. Right? You can't whisper
2: on a podcast. Oh, no, because it's
1: scary. <laughs> <laughs> For all the people in their cars. <laughs> <sound> <laughs> to work in the <laughs> I was
2: just watching the Steven Spielberg documentary. these <laughs> singing Jaws.
1: <laughs> so, so anyway, I mean, this basement. I mean, a lot of these buildings that we went in and we were pretty crazy and naive at the time as well, because I mean, a lot of these places, there was just mold everywhere, mm. you know, and you're walking through water and maybe you don't even think about, you know, mm. you, you set your tripod down into whatever, and you're bringing that back to the vehicle, you're bringing it to your hotel room or whatever. I mean, totally. all these things you have to think about and, and as well as is the actual air that you're breathing, right? So needless to say, all of a sudden, somebody goes, and everybody just sort of stops and goes, and we could hear people walking now. Really? Yeah. And we're all like just sphincters tightening up, you know, the aperture's wide open. We could whisper now. (laughs) And it was like, and all of a sudden, these two young kids and a girl walk around the corner. These young kids got like a little you know camera yeah. in his hand oh, okay and uh it, he spoke french and our producers spoke french and trying to figure out what the hell's going on and he said uh to the kid you know like we're here we're we don't have permission or what he says, What do you you don't need permission or whatever? Haven't you been up on the main floor? There's a guy up there shooting nudes of two models.
3: <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah.
1: So I mean, that just took the you know, the heat off of everything and then we just wandered through the ridiculous. house. But you know, I, I even got my photo taken with one of the models. Oh wow. You know, um I hope it was a, uh, was it a female model? Hey, of course. I don't have to hope that. I don't <laughs> care what it is. <laughs> Identified as she and her. <laughs> um, so anyway, I mean, so after we knew that, I mean, we just went everywhere. And, and, you know, um, you're walking up spiral staircases that are just like dust it still has the iron that they used, you know, to hold it. But you're just there's no steps left. It's just like walking oh, wow. up, you know, powder or whatever to get to, you know, the steeple that they had, which was an amazing view as well. But um, unfortunately, they tore that down about three years ago. It's completely gone now. Oh, what
2: a shame! Can you see the show anywhere? Is it, is it, um, it available? Um, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: well, <clears throat> it's available on YouTube. It's okay. called Photo X with an X. Explorers, explorers. And um, yeah, so I mean, another interesting uh, place that we went to was a steel factory that had been abandoned for years. And the only way that we could get into it was through a manhole that was off site. Oh, and we, so, like through so we through a tunnel. Yeah, so we hooked up with cool. uh, two people that were local and they showed us, you know, they took us down and we're walking through it. And the cool thing about that was that uh, I had single unit camera at the time. And so I rolled the camera and just let it roll. So it's being passed through the tunnel, you know, as we're going until we actually popped up inside the factory, this huge abandonment. Right. But what I didn't really realize until I actually looked at the, uh, the video when we got back was like the atmosphere all the asbestos that was floating around oh, yeah. right and, and things that you i mean we had only a little bit of light flashlights on our heads or whatever but you know at the time and never thought about it right but you know all those pipes and everything that were in that yeah. manhole and the tunnel leading in and, and wow
2: and your movement is disturbing all that oh dust.
1: totally right i mean yeah. you know it's like if you're in a dusty home and you see backlight lighting the dust or whatever. I mean, even in this room, there's probably if you no, we don't it, backlight it. On us. <laughs> uh,
0: Danny, how how did you get started in this? Well, like, what exactly is it? Um, you're not a cinematographer, you're not a director. What what are you? What do you do? Why do you get involved in shows like
1: this? Um, well, do you do
2: concerts <clears throat> and other things as well? Um, okay, Danny, how did you start in your career? Tell him what you
1: do. Okay. I grew up in T.O., Tilsonburg, Ontario. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, big city. Yeah. And anyway, um, when I was growing up, uh, my dad would take us to work or work to school in the morning at 20 to 9, and he would listen to CKLW radio out of Windsor. And at that time, it was like one of the biggest radio stations in the country, if not the U.S. at the time. And they had twenty twenty news out of Detroit, you know, with uh, announcers like Byron McGregor. Twenty twenty news, um, mm-hmm. death last night in Detroit. Woman ended up getting the Louisville Slugger label right across her forehead. You know, I mean, and that was the kind of news that we were being presented. Like twelve years old is like. <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, because I'd listen to this radio station all the time, they played great music and everything. My dad gave me a transistor radio, I think, when I was like eight. And then when I was 10 years old, he gave me a tape recorder. So um, it was funny when I got the tape recorder because I was in grade five. I remember this. And another friend of mine in the same class, he got uh, he got the same tape recorder, with cassette tape recorder, right? Okay. And um, we would tape right off the TV, the audio off the TV. So we could listen to it later. Okay. You know, sure. So we would trade tapes of the stones.
0: Oh, right on, right on
1: the Flintstones. Oh
0: ah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's who I thought you were talking about. <laughs> He's going to
2: catch us on this and more,
0: more. Yeah, today. I know. I see it. <laughs> no,
1: but anyway, so anyway, I, I really wanted to be a radio DJ. <clears throat> that's uh, what I wanted to do. Well, we, like, you've got a killer voice. Kill voice like brother. Yeah. Oh, Well, thanks. Um, Anyway, in grade seven, <clears throat> or grade eight actually, they had public speaking at our, our middle <clears throat> school. And I ended up uh, um, speaking about Niagara and the daredevils. My dad took us to Niagara Falls, including helicopter rides all the time. You know, um, I, I was just, I love reading about all the daredevils and all the stunts that were done at Niagara um, throughout the years. So I decided to public speak about the daredevils and now i never won the competition but i did win my class which mean that which meant i had to speak in front of the whole school and speaking to speaking, oh, wow. bring that
2: mic just a smidgen in front of your yep. face yeah perfect
1: thanks and um anyway um so i mean i had no fear of speaking in public and that you know it was because i think i was encouraged because i wanted to do, be in radio right yeah yeah, yeah. so <clears throat> when it came time to go to uh Excuse me, post-secondary school.
3: <clears throat>
1: um, I chose two colleges, Fanshawe London, Conestoga and Kitchener. Fanshawe London, they had a live FM station there, which meant right on college campus you could you know go on six x FM and become you know a DJ immediately where yeah, con- cool. and meet girls. And meet girls. And, and then um, at Conestoga, they actually had a three-year course, which was two years radio, one year or, or plus television. So I thought at the time, well, why don't I, you know, if, if I'm going to college, I'll, I'll take all three years. And I went to Conestoga rather than London. Okay. Um, <clears throat> did some fascinating things uh, when I was in college. Um, a friend of mine. Now, here's a question for you. Do you know the cinematographer Keith Murphy? I do. Yeah, very okay. well. Yeah. Well, Keith was like uh, a year, two years ahead of me, actually. We okay. became friends, and he introduced me Great guy. to auto racing. His oh, birthday just oh, went back. Yeah. 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 He we also know his sister. She's a yeah, yeah, totally, right? Yeah. And anyway, and I know his brother Marty. I don't know if you know him, but... Um,
2: we don't want to ever meet Marty.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's a good guy. Um, anyway... Keith introduced me to auto racing and we ended up going to the Montreal Grand Prix and getting racing or uh, media credentials at the time as well was just amazing to, you know, be behind the scenes, right. right? Go where the public can't go and then be creative on top of that, covering whatever it is, uh, you know. Most of the time, most of my shooting is it's not drama. I, I really like documentary, I like action, but I like single camera shooting where... You only have one chance. You know, there's no second yeah. take because it's reality, right? right. I sure. mean, if you're yeah, shooting yeah, a sporting yeah. event, if you don't get whatever's happening, then, you know, you go on to the next thing, totally, right? Totally, totally. Um, so just to back up a little bit, my uh, I wanted to be the DJ my first summer out of school. I tried to get work everywhere, including the, the roller rink that used to be Martin's Furniture down there on King Street. Oh, I know. Tried to be a radio <laughs> DJ for roller skating, you know, during the summer. And Tino Monte, I don't yeah, know Tino if you Monte. Know. I know. Yeah, Tino. he he was actually managing it at the time, and he looked at my one-year credential and went, you know, I wouldn't be able to pay you what you're worth, right? And I'm going, dude, I just want a job, right? So needless to say, three of my friends got a... Um, a contract with the local kinsman to to run a TV news show twice a week on cable in Tilsonburg, and they needed a fourth guy, and I ended up, I can't remember, being the fourth guy. And uh, one guy was an animator from Sheridan, and the other two were Ryerson uh, radio guys. When it came to using the camera, no one knew how to use it, and I became the camera guy. So, so this was it this was the turning point of danny dj to danny videographer right okay i mean that was you know when i started shooting and then editing and just you know like just bringing it all together really it was just so creative at the time right and huh. uh tv was a, totally different back then you know people welcome you with open arms or they always want to know what are you doing you know what's what's going on yeah. um and it, it, it's not like now where, you know, people couldn't care less or they always want to know. Because they, everybody has a camera on their head. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, really lost that magic. But I, I was there to experience it at least for a few years before, you know, camcorders came out and people started shooting people, paparazzi video or whatever. And, you know, just the question of what are you doing all the time, right? And it's like, uh, anyway. Um, so that was my career at college then i was asked to uh ship film from ckco tv to chch in london or hamilton actually to um, ship it
2: that's what mrs gunfire okay. did yeah so robin williams got a job shipping cans oh really? remember <laughs> <that>? <laughs> yeah. anyway it wasn't
1: remember. it wasn't shipping it was basically like a courier service so needless to say most of the stringers or the reporters that CKCO had out in the field were shoot, shooting film still. And CKCO was making a transition to video. So they tore out their film processor. So all these films still had to be developed. Oh. So they would come into the, the TV station at CKCO. I would then drive them to CHCH in Hamilton. I would sit and wait for them to be processed through the developer. I and see. I'd take the film back that night, usually <laughs> landing at 10 o'clock back in Kitchener for them to, have an hour to edit whatever film that they were going to present that night in the news wow
0: amazing what
2: a process yeah
0: Yeah,
1: it was even back in the day right now
2: you just send it with your phone (laughs)
1: live yeah (laughs) yeah live (laughs) yeah crazy (laughs) you know i mean everything's in your phone right Mm -hmm. i mean the only thing we had back then when we were doing news and i started shooting news at ckco tv was a two-way radio in the car and you know once you got outside of cambridge you know you were you were snookered Anyway, so yes, I have an infamous story as well, which uh, involves my very first shoot as a news cameraman at CKCO-TV. Okay. Um, I was editing at that time. It wasn't on the shooter's list or whatever. So uh, our newscast ended at 7 p.m. Ron Johnson was the anchor. And everybody else had gone for dinner because usually after the, the show's done, everybody goes to dinner and everybody comes back in for production so ron comes down i'm still in the edit suite getting ready to go for dinner and all of a sudden the police radio just goes you know all this chatters going on I was like what the heck's going on and then ron finds out that there was a hostage taking at the tim hortons at the crossroads up here at 24 and uh is it eight no yeah 24, yeah, and, eight. 24 and 8 you know yeah
0: the delta there the, the big, delta the big one. oh yeah. yeah right
1: and so i said to ron i said well, I know how to shoot having shot the cable stuff, right? He said, Well, go up to engineering, get a camera, you know, and this is where you got to go. So, man, I hook, I get all the gear together and put it in the back of the, uh, the Mustangs we were using as news cruisers back then in the, <laughs> through the hatchback. And um, anyway, tear off, you know, and the adrenaline is just flying, right? I'm just going, Holy shit. Hostage taking, you know, at a Tim Hortons. And I'm going to shoot it. So I finally pull up to the Delta, and the Delta is just like screaming with lights everywhere. You know, everything from fire trucks to police cars. I open up the hatchback. I take the camera out. I hook it up. Back then we had a separate recorder shooting three-quarter-inch tape, right? Yeah. I hook all that up. I power up the recorder. I power up the camera. I've seen
0: you guys as characters in movies. (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah but you know what you can always tell they're not good because they always tilt the horizon like (laughs) you know yeah it's it's like you know the guy can't there's it's probably a wooden camera anyway
0: that's a hilarious detail anyway
1: yeah so anyway (laughs) i'm just like heading as close as i can get to the event and then when i when i settle i'm looking through the viewfinder and it's black I can't get a, a visual of anything except just seeing the black, illuminate, black and white illuminated viewfinder. And I open up the aperture, still nothing. I'm going like, what the fuck is going on? I have no idea what oh technical problem I've got going on right now. So I start running back to the news cruiser because I was going to try to get a hold of engineering, right? So I'm running back to the car mm-hmm. and my feet get tangled in the actual recorder cable. Oh, no. And breaks it right off the aluminum input of the recorder where you ain't going to be recording anything you know it's like totally broken oh fuck i get back to the car can't find my keys it's like what the right (laughs) so finally thank god i didn't lock the car when i left so i figured well they must be in the back hatch so i had to you know take the gear off hop into the car, hop through the back seat, get into the hatchback, and then feel around, and I found the keys, opened it up, and then, you know, sadly, with my tail between my legs, got a hold of the newsroom to tell them that there won't be any footage coming back of the hostage taking.
2: (laughs) So So what, yeah, was the lens cap still on the camera?
1: Well, you know what? This is what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was going to be too easy. No, no, no. The lens cap, of course, you know, I know to take the lens cap off. But it was almost like that. It was the filter wheel. Now, the camera that I'd used at the cable company, basically for color temperature, it had like a a sun and a cloud Mm. in a light bulb. Right? And that's where you would just rotate this dial. Well, this Sony camera actually had a ring with like four filters. One, One being a cap filter which was totally black because back in those days, they had tubes for the, the yeah. actual pickups in you'd the cameras. Burn it in. Yeah, if you got extensive uh, light coming in, you would burn the filament in the tubes and you'd have a blob or whatever. And, you know, it's just a mess if you got into that point. So, yeah, that's when I learned all about wow. a filter wheel was that day.
2: <laughs> Live and learn.
1: Well, speaking of back caps as well, um, I had a show in 1983, um, a guy named John Matlock, he and I uh, created a 13 uh, episode show called The Professionals. Now, this is before I met you because had I met you before that, we would have had you on as one of the professionals for sure. But Let's basi- redo it.
2: Let's just start it over. Yeah.
1: Well, basically, you know, it was a television show going behind the scenes of people, professionals, like we did ambulance drivers at the time because they weren't medical. Mm -hmm. ems people uh we did fire department um and i did stunting as well with uh this will bring a memory back probably lucky lot
2: oh yeah i know right
1: and he had uh Hmm. he would he was doing his stunts he was in stratford at the time i believe Um, and one of the stunt shows that he was uh presenting involved um a guy named gary schroeder pilot
3: yeah
1: He had one of those old, you know what?
2: Like the 172 Cessna with the overhead wing?
1: Yeah, yeah, with a stick Hmm. and the two seats, one behind the other. It
2: wouldn't be the 172, but yes, I I know the plane.
1: So his act Gary's Gary's act was basically, you know, looping around, flying, coming really down low, you know, just being a real wild guy, fly behind the horizon and then he'd reappear and he'd have a clothesline hanging out the back, you know, like he'd gone through some woman's clothesline or something like that. <laughs> it was pretty funny. But anyway, for the stunt show, he basically what they did was he took this plane And landed it on the runway on the top of a truck. So, yeah, the truck had a rig built on top of a
2: pickup truck. And as the pickup truck was coming around on the track, Gary would bring his airplane down and land on the top of the truck. Totally. So I've never personally met Gary. Yeah. But his brother Todd driving that truck is a good friend.
1: Okay, yeah. Todd Shorter. Oh, wow. Yeah, because Gary ended up going up north and becoming a pilot up there mm-hmm. for quite a while yeah they did that. that for
2: years I've seen them do the gag and yeah. I've never had an opportunity to go over and meet Gary so the hell pilot of a gag now. When, the, when it's over he would take off yeah <clears throat> Toddy I've known forever
0: but, he'd take off off the truck
1: mm-hmm.
2: he'd leave he,
0: he, yeah he but, was, but wow because the
2: truck's still moving <clears throat> it's
0: no, I know that's wild yeah
2: hmm.
1: well it was a good yeah stunt show. like there was a grid on the top and then it had two like beveled or nuts. yeah he
2: would re- his wheels would drop in
1: drop in Hmm. and then the truck would go down the end of the runway turn around and then he'd take off from the top of the truck
2: because he has lift under his wing yeah, yeah yeah i get it yeah
0: yeah so i mean crazy. i guess
1: it was all you know it was all practiced about maintaining the same speed for the landing right sure sure you know and what was great about that though was uh, i remember the series we got 150 dollars. that was our budget which John and I split seventy five dollars each. One hundred and fifty. Right? Was it so right for a, dinner? <laughs> One hundred and fifty dollars an episode, and we did it on our own time. Like we weren't getting paid by the hour or anything at CKCO. And and the great thing about that stunt though was that, first of all, I could go anywhere, do anything I want. It's like working with you. It's like you know the trusted thing. And and so I ended up shooting, of course, the whole landing and takeoff from outside on the ground, right? I did it as well. Um, from the truck, looking up and having the, the plane land on the truck. Um, I did it in the plane, landing on the truck. And then we got a guy who would take us up in a Cessna, but it was going to cost $75. <laughs> and so I now I had air-to-air, right? So I had all these great angles to shoot and it would look really good but right you
2: spend your whole budget on that plane so
1: i went back to the <laughs> went back to the program manager and asked you know any chance that you guys could no they wouldn't even suck up to 75 dollars for this amazing shot right <laughs> you know but the professionals yeah there was another stunt uh pilot named jerry billings i don't know him. he uh he was a spitfire pilot and um, anyway, we hooked up with him.
0: What's a Spitfire pilot?
1: Uh, Spitfire is a, a plane that was used during the Second World War. It was like it, it didn't I carry see. bombs. It's a, little, it's a little fighter. Yeah. Okay. 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 I don't know what size no, caliber bullets it had, but you know, it was basically yeah, a shooter and right, right. Okay. Sing, single seat. You know, you know it if you saw it for sure. You know, prop right on the front. Of I it, thought on maybe the nose. this was
0: like a type of pilot. I wasn't. I wasn't oh, sure what you meant.
1: Yeah. Okay. Anyway, at, during his career, he'd been shot down behind enemy lines, I think, twice and actually escaped as well. So, I mean, he had uh, quite the, uh, you know, background in history. Wow. Um, I'm trying to remember who owned the plane. It was a, a movie star, Clint. Jeez. Anyway, he might come to me. Um not Eastwood. (laughs) Okay. I was going (laughs) to (laughs) say, but anyway uh, he had a decathlon and he had a farm and he had his own airstrip. So we went down there because I couldn't fly with him with the spitfire. I could only get, you know, ground shots or whatever for the decathlon though. He took me up and this plane as well had the pilot seat and then uh, the seat right behind the pilot. I strapped my three quarter inch tape recorder to the back of the seat And I've got my camera on my shoulder now. And of course, the cable that goes to the back of the recorder. And we go, we take off. And the bastard, as soon as we took off, he spiraled the plane like three times and then pulled it out and went around, right? Now he's gaining altitude. And at one point, Hmm. he did what I think was called the screwdriver, if I recall. And that was where he went straight up
0: let the plane
1: and then he'd get to the peak and he'd stall the engine yeah right and now you're twirling to the ground
0: crazy yeah that's before obvious, he then pulls out again seen right that kind of stuff before yeah
1: so anyway and you're in the plane i'm in the plane by the time he gets done doing all this stuff we're doing rolls we're doing like you know all that crazy stuff like he wanted to impress me right i mean he did but when i got of the plane my hand was cramped like, for 20 minutes, I swear to God, like that. Trying just, to hold the just horizon. Try, yeah, just trying to keep it steady as possible, right? Trying to hold the
3: horizon.
1: <clears throat> so, anyway. Not uh, puke. It, well, yeah, I mean. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, anyway, I get back to the TV station to look at the footage. And when we're doing that, that's it's called the screwdriver. The, yeah, I think it's a screwdriver. All of a sudden, a qu- third of the frame is starting to go black. And then all of a sudden, half of the frame is going black. And I'm trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And the camera that I was using, I remember it was a Hitachi FP21, had a back cap. So if the camera ever fell over, this cap would just close the back of the lens so that the tubes wouldn't get burned. So centrifugal force was pulling the back cap. Across the actual back of the lens. That's
2: fascinating.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, I mean, it was one hell of a way to learn something like that. But Wow.
2: wow! You know, the last time I saw Lucky Lot was at a, a live sort of Hell Driver show. Oh, yeah. And we, we got to talking. He's a great guy, great, great experience, great stories. But he'd written a book. Oh, did he? Yeah. And it was no longer in print and no longer available. <laughs> and I went, ah, darn. I sure wish I had that book you could sign," he said. "Well, I have two left, and some people deserve them, and some people don't. And here you go. Oh my gosh! So He gave, really? me, the, he gave me his book signed. It. Yeah, that's it great.
1: Yeah, if, he, if is you if around. Photog- no, no, he'd be, he, he passed away. He was around. quite old, even when we oh, used were working with okay. him. But the photos, like I mean, he was really popular. I would say right after the <clears throat> Second World War, right, is yeah. when you know things really got back to semi-normal and were They would jump
2: cars and crash cars. Falling like fifteen and twenty feet, crashing the cars off of ramps, and they would tie hemp rope around their waists
1: before seatbelts were even in, right? It's crazy. And wow. you look at the cars; the cars are amazing. Most of them had Lucky's name, like Lucky Lot, right on the side. It's like yeah. the Chipwich guys, right? I mean, yeah, that's right. You know, all the all those stunt. And I was really surprised as well. Getting onto another story where, where we're talking about uh, stunt driving that blair was actually with uh, paul riddell and the Drivers. yeah
2: blair toured them f- <laughs> with them for a, quite a while yeah well he yeah. posted
1: something not long ago a video or something that, that and i just went oh my yeah. god i didn't know that
2: yeah that's blair in that car exploding on that poster behind you oh my is that
1: right eh? yeah well anyway um i actually got to ride with paul riddell one time <clears throat> okay um i don't know if you know paul riddell but no He's a, from Nova Scotia. I believe is, so. Right? and yeah. He's been with the Hell Drivers, the, the Imperial Hell Drivers, right. you know, forever.
2: The Williams Brothers in London were the Trans-Canada
1: Hell Drivers. And, um, and I'm sure that they played Woodstock as well as that uh, they played Tilsonberg at the, uh, the Grandstand, mm-hmm. um, would come in and do their stunt shows. But um, the time that I met Paul was um, at the COE, the Central Ontario Exhibition in Kitchener, And Hmm. he had a stunt show there. Um, And uh, I got in the car, the passenger side, to shoot what he calls the high ski. Right. And that's when he actually takes the car up on two wheels. And he drives it like all the way around the track on two wheels and then drops it back down. Right? Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you know, yeah, it's pretty awesome when you're on the outside. When you're on the inside, Paul must have been like 300 plus pounds. I mean, he's he's, he's up here right yeah. i'm down here because the cars you know like <laughs> on its side and i'm going like and and <clears throat> it was so funny just before we actually did the high ski he handed me this pillow right and i thought well he says that's for you to use with the camera right when we when we land okay all right so anyway we end up doing the loop or whatever. And he says, okay, we're going to bring her down now, right? And so all of a sudden, I get the pillow and I put it by the window and the camera. Okay. And then, bang, the car comes down. Now we're, you know, driving normally. And he looks at me, he goes, what the fuck are you doing? That was to go between your head and the camera. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious.
1: Um, yeah. You know what? A lot of stunts things like that that I, I remember as well. And another one at the COE that I actually shot was... Um, do you know the name Benny Kosky? I don't. Boom Boom Benny? Nope. Well, is One
2: of these guys that blows up a coffin? Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like the original guy. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. And it was so funny because when I... It was this kind of little shitty stunt show that they were putting on at the COE grandstand during the exhibition. Like they had a guy... Who walked up, you know, stairs—not stairs, but a, a high tower—and then was going to jump into a bag. Right. Had a bunch of firecrackers on his back, and he'd light them off just as he, you know, basically did a header into the into the bag. And then they had another guy who took a snowmobile and he jumped ramp to ramp in the summertime.
2: Um, I might know him.
1: And then, and then there was Boom Boom Benny. And, like, I had no idea even what the, what was happening at the stunt show because I was there just to shoot, you know, basically visuals for that night's newscast of, mm-hmm. you know, this happened at the COE. So there's no introduction except the announcer saying, you know, uh, Benny's just returned from a burn clinic in Cleveland, Ohio, and has made it here tonight for the show, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he's dressed like evil Knievel. He's got the leathers on, that, you know, star stripes, all that, right? Oh, yeah classic I don't think he had a cape. I don't believe he had a cape. He may have had
2: a. You're cape. not a true daredevil without a cape. Yeah, well, no.
1: maybe he did have a cape. But anyway, so he had an assistant, and he had a casket, a wooden casket, and it was painted up, you know, star stripes and everything. And he gets into the casket. And then, you know, his beautiful assistant walks away. And then, of course, the announcers, you know, Benny's going to start blowing himself up here. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together. Let's do a really big countdown. Ten, nine. And it goes all the way down to one. And then all of a sudden, boom. The whole thing fucking explodes, right? (laughs) Like, I mean, it was probably balsam wood anyway, but sure, the sure. fact is, is that, you know, there was shrapnel everywhere. There was smoke, there was all this. And then Benny gets up wobbling and, you know, gives his arm in the air like, hey, and everybody applauds. And that's his gig for the night, right?
2: Some people would think so I ended up. So to...
1: I ended up meeting up with him again uh, years later and I knew who he was. So I had to get my photo with him and everything, but it was down at... Uh, um, you know, it's now Toronto Motorsport Park, Cuca Dragway. Yeah. And I think at that night, he actually blew himself up in uh, one of those um, Johnny and the Spots, you know, like the washrooms, portable mm-hmm. washrooms. Okay,
0: yeah. <laughs> that, that, that was that, his That was skin. a sight. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> but
1: uh, you know what, as is, is, well, I remember, I think I have his card or something like that, but, you know, it was like Benny Kosky. It had his, you know... Uh, His address in Florida. And and then it has, you know, private parties, bar mitzvahs, you know, like all these
3: little things he would
1: would do. And, I mean, he was really famous. He was on The Tonight Show, actually, with Jay Leno years back. Oh, Uh, Oh, wow. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so another stunter that I I, uh, ran into over my career. Um, Another one was uh, Karel Suchek. I don't know. He was a yugoslavian i believe but he went over niagara falls
3: okay
0: okay
1: wow and um
0: don't tell me you were in the barrel with him
1: no but we uh um, <laughs> a, another camera. another features producer actually hooked up with him long before he went over the falls and actually was with him in his garage when he was building his new barrel or his barrel mm-hmm. his stunning career actually before that i remember one of his big jumps he did at the CNE actually where they actually had a ramp built at the top of the old CNE grandstand and he came down and jumped i don't know how many vehicles like within the old uh CNE stadium or exhibition stadium like in a on
0: car
3: you you know No motor- he
1: was on a bike he uh, mot- on motorcycle. Oh, on a yeah, motorcycle okay. yeah totally right um
2: I that's I think it's interesting that you started out as a child doing you know your speech about daredevils in Niagara and then worked with this guy
1: Oh, well, yeah, you know, I mean, but that's my interest, right? I was yeah. just like, you know, trying to follow my dreams and be involved cool. in, in things like that. And um, anyway, uh, I never met him personally, but I'd met him on the phone quite a few times because it was Lucky Lot actually that connected me with Karel Suchek. Mm. Um, and, and Karel and I went back and forth on the phone quite a few times. And, you know, I mean, it was like, well, how can i trust you you know and you're trying to say well you know what i don't know how do, you, how do you trust somebody right you know with keeping it secret right. i mean that ah, was the whole thing ah. you know yeah. you can build a barrel in your garage and you don't get fined right but as soon as you break the law <coughs> sure. then, then it's a problem right and um so anyway i ended up uh, this was during the professionals going to my program manager who wouldn't give us the $75. And I said to him, listen, this is what I've got on the burner. And he wouldn't let me do it at all because of the liability of the station being involved in somebody committing a, you know, a crime, an illegal act, uh, an illegal act and me shooting it while I knew uh, it was being okay. shot and become an accomplice and all that. Right. But, Um. <clears throat> but, um he was a really crazy guy i mean he did the he did the barrel drop i think it was like 1984 like july 4th or something right because a lot of people would be at niagara falls on the holiday and uh he made it successfully he got out bumped and bruised big, big gash on his forehead looked really good on tv um <laughs> And and he proclaimed at the time that he was going to be the last of the daredevils, uh. that if somebody was going to do a barrel drop tomorrow, he'd be there the next day to be the last, you know, oh, of wow. the daredevils. Right? right? He was a really crazy guy. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, he passed away not long after that. He.
2: <laughs> geez, that's quite, quite a statement.
1: Well. Doing what? reenacting the stunt at the Houston Astrodome. Basically, what he had was a large container, and I don't know how many feet it was, maybe like 15 feet deep of water. Mm-hmm. And he had a barrel. It wasn't the same one, I don't think. That maybe it was. He dropping
2: from a crane or something? He
1: was dropped from a crane within the Astrodome. The Astrodome was like the Sky dome where it had a retractable roof. This one was closed, right. right? And they had a crane in there, and they took him up. Now... Uh, the actual height of the falls from the top to the bottom was 168 feet. I remember this one for sure. Okay. And so he was raised up the same height as him going over the falls. So the stunt was they were going to let go of the line and he and his barrel are going to crash into the water in this big vat of water.
0: Yeah. And he died doing this.
1: What ended up happening is when the barrel dropped... It had moved over a little bit and actually hit the side of the container of water. Oh, sure. for fun. And he was killed immediately.
2: Yeah, a couple inches up there translates to a few feet down here.
1: And I remember talking to the manager of the Houston Astrodome, um, who I ran into, and conversation led to one, one thing or another, and he said, yeah. He said, you know what? What he didn't realize <clears throat> is that a place that big has its own weather within that area. Sure. Right? There's little winds <clears throat> going around or whatever, and that was actually moving the whole barrel yeah, and, yeah. and so I mean had he been stable and dead on bullseye then probably have, would have lived right yeah, yeah but when it came down yeah
0: although I picture like hitting <clears throat> hitting a surface of water is 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 a hard it's it's all it's pretty hard just yeah. hitting water but then you know with the wa- with the the Niagara Falls not that I think uh, anybody should be jumping Niagara Falls but at the very least that water's pushing the water down
2: this is where my thoughts went is exactly as a stunt guy i don't think i've ever seen a barrel go over niagara falls to know but as it goes over it stays within
1: the top the, the fall water, water. It stays
2: in the, the the hydro action of the water falling with it and go and as pushing it, it as it hits the ground the, the flips well the water underneath on the bottom the river <clears throat> yeah is being churned up by the falls so there's a break just like bu- yeah. bubbling a high dive uh, and, and the barrel goes with that water into the river water. Well, this guy's expecting to just fall from the sky
0: free- into a freeform, into a
2: flat thing of water. Surface of water. Yeah. That impact would have Might been as well incredible. A bit cement. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, that's,
0: yeah, you'd think. But turns out that's not how it happened anyway.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and if you hit the edge of the pool, that's even that's worse. That's even worse. Apparently, yeah, yeah no. not was to it... laugh about it is very sad. No,
0: it's no
1: not, yeah, it's, it, it, totally it's right. Not
2: funny what whatsoever.
1: No, but if you knew the guy, you'd know that. Um... Jesus
2: Christ, I can't believe somebody would do that.
1: <laughs> you had to know him, right? He was just livid. I think he as well. He, um, for one of his stunts, you know, took his motorcycle and rode it to the Arctic North Pole. That'd be a trip. You know, I'd love yeah, to try that'd be that. Insane. Yeah, for sure.
0: I don't know why everyone does the waterfall, uh, does the Niagara Falls, and they don't do like a, a barrel down the, the the Egypt pyramids, or or a, I don't know. You go ahead. Do all all the wonders, and <laughs> yeah, do barrel. all the wonders. Do all the wonders. <laughs> I'm just being an idiot. Imagine well, you going to the Grand Canyon.
2: If Andrew does all the wonders, will you shoot it? Fuck yeah. <laughs> <Right on. laughs> okay, Can 70, we start
1: tomorrow? I'll give you 75 bucks a <laughs> day. A barrel. Hey, right on. 75, yeah. <laughs> yeah, any, 75. Any, Does that include craft services?
3: <laughs> uh, I don't know. We'll get uh, Mom to break...
1: cut some cheeses. <laughs> cut some cheeses? <laughs> 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 oh, um, yeah, so I mean, Niagara as well as has attracted so many crazy people looking sure, for fortune and totally. fame anyway, of right? A yeah. Tightrope walking and but all that stuff. Here's a stunt that I've always had in my mind that I think would be unbelievable. If you notice know, on the horseshoe. You horses- can do this, bud. Yeah, for sure. The Horseshoe Falls, there's like this little tiny island. It's not really, it's like rocks and, and bushes and little trees or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I always thought, how cool would it be? maybe if you were promoting something like a soft drink or whatever, you're on a chaise lounge and it's a tight shot head to toe of you. (laughs) And And then you pull back (laughs) and there you are sitting above Niagara falls. I mean, I thought that would be a great location for that type of idea. (laughs) But see, the thing about that
2: is this, um, we would have a helicopter putting somebody down on that. Like everything would be taken out by a helicopter. Oh, you'd have to incredibly safe. Um, yeah. Um,
1: Let's do it. How about um, another one? Uh, This guy is not really known as a stunt person, but the amazing Randy.
2: Is he an escape artist or something?
1: Um, Well, he has done escape.
2: Is that the guy with the big white beard? Yep. He's always trying to debunk
1: magicians? That's right. Okay. Yeah, he was a Canadian, actually. Oh, really? I don't know that. But, you know, spent his time teaching at the University of Buffalo before he was retiring down in Florida. The Amazing Randy? The Amazing Randy.
2: They usually put huh. that in front of most Randy's names.
1: Yeah. And he always carried yeah. a check for like a million dollars in his pocket if you could actually prove that you were psychic.
2: Yeah, he would... De- that's what it is. He debunks psychics and yeah. stuff like that.
1: Yuri Geller, he right. debunked on The Tonight Show. Right. Like just by... Like, what was great? Yuri Geller, you know that guy? Yeah, yeah, I do. You know, bend the fork or whatever yeah, and yeah. break off. St- well, anyway, unbeknownst to him, one night on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson back in the day, they had invited Yuri as the main guest. But unbeknownst to him, they had the amazing Randy there as well, who said basically, you know, and one of the things he could do is actually, uh, no, no, it was another guy actually. But anyway, he debunked Yuri right on live TV. You know, and and Yuri had to go like, I don't know, I'm just not feeling right tonight. Yeah, yeah, it's not uh, working. It's not working or whatever. And he debunked another guy as well on another TV show that could sit, stare at a big page out of a book and actually flip the pages, right? I've seen that. And so Randy debunked that guy too by, you know, putting a little cue card up in front of his mouth because he was just blowing the pages across, right? (laughs) yeah oh my really that's the kind of trickery that went on you know for years back back in the day but getting back to the amazing randy is that he did this uh (laughs) bit where they were down at niagara falls and everything and he's talking about different stunts and then he says and there was this guy you know he hanging above the horseshoe falls from a crane on a line you know and he's got the straight jacket on yeah, And then you watch the guy get the straight jacket off and it's Randy. Like it was so great because he actually, you know, he introduced the stunt from the side of the railing oh, okay. and then they cut to the sure. the, ah. the stunt. Right. But I mean, back in the day, that was like, holy
0: you're like, what the hell the fuck do you do that?
1: Or have oh. you seen the one where, um, uh, David Copperfield went over the American Falls. Not too many stunts at the American Falls because it's so rocky underneath. But uh, Copperfield, uh, what was it now? We, we, I think he was on a. Man, sorry, it escapes me now. He's either on a ski dew or he was in a box. Really? And he went over the American Falls and they shot it from behind.
0: Those are very similar things. So I. I get your confusion. A or a
2: box.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure it was uh, the box. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't have worked if he was on a sea because you'd see him sea Um So anyway, the stunt goes, like he's dropped over the edge of the falls, it's shot from behind. So all you see is the lip of the falls, the water, you know, and the mist and everything. And it's like... Yeah. And then all of a sudden this helicopter comes up in the same shot and he's dangling, you know, on a line with his foot in the the a loop the loop coming up and just blowing everybody away like what just happened?
2: So what did just happen?
1: I don't know. It was a malfunction apparently on the stunt that he was okay. going to do. Okay. Yeah, it was it was pretty crazy, but you know, not too many stunts at American Falls, though. Yeah. 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 Well, More suicides, I think than Yeah.
2: Yeah,
0: do you ever shoot stuff like that?
1: Suicide? I'm just kidding. kidding. (laughs) Loss of life. One time I thought, you know, shooting funerals would be No, this is, no,
2: no, this actually, this brings (laughs) They're very exciting. This brings up an interesting question, though. Um, Throughout your career as a videographer for news and sports and whatever, you've done a ton of stuff, Danny, and people that are listening to this podcast will never get, ever get a sense of, all that you've done uh it's absolutely incredible your career but what have you ever shot something have you ever been shooting something and something else happens like you caught something by mistake that was absolutely incredible like ghosts in a in a a french
1: i've done a ghost show um
2: no, I mean, it, it, you, and, uh, I can't uh, watch those paranormal and, shows. And it'll be amazing Nudes. Randy's going to show up and hey, tell you it's
1: not. <laughs> Did you hear that? It's like. Yeah, hey. I've never
0: been into those either because none of them are successful in what is supposed to be all the electronics like, and is, lights and everything yeah, they have well, on their so,
1: gadgets so and you know, I mean, it's like. But it's amazing how many shows there are like that, and how many years have been going on, and it's because of the audience, right? The, you don't
2: I, have to answer my question. It's all good.
1: Oh, I will answer your question. Um, Well, you know what? I mean, yeah, a lot of things that happened where I didn't expect it to happen, but mostly um, in sporting events, motorsport mostly, you know, where all of a sudden my frame is filled with something that's happening and going on. I mean, I've got a lot of those where all of a sudden, you know, you're following the puck, as I would say. Yeah. You're following the action. And then all of a sudden the action deviates from what it's supposed to be doing. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, when you capture the action and hopefully you're at the right place at the right time and you're rolling. Do
2: you ever get a sense <laughs> that you could, you want to put the camera down and just watch this unfold? I mean, no, it's rare, but not. I shoot some stunts. Like I shoot the stunts of people that I hire and whatever, yeah. you know, with my camera, my, my phone. <clears throat> and, um, <clears throat> but sometimes things may not have worked out as well as I had hoped or whatever. And when I watch my playback, it's always because I'm now looking right at what I, what's, what's happening as opposed to me shooting what's happening. But a lot
1: of the times, you know what? I, I really, um, take myself away from reality. And when I'm looking through that viewfinder, it's a totally different world. Um, when we were doing the professionals, we were doing, uh, ambulance, uh, drivers, And then we were at a crash one night where unfortunately this uh this man and his girlfriend got into a car accident and we had to uh evacuate him to hospital and in the back of the car i remember the ambulance attendant just trying to keep him you know sedated and the guy was just full of blood and it was just crazy what was going on but because the adrenaline's going and I'm in the back of the ambulance with them as we're going to hospital and he's just the, the emotion that was going on even with the driver not even myself though I was just totally taken away from that never even thought about it and we got to Grand River Hospital and extricated the guy out of the the ambulance and you know I couldn't go into the hospital but I just shot it as the doors you know close and the gurney's going through and then went back in the floor shot a shot of the floor of the ambulance, and it was just like blood everywhere. Must have
0: been hard to get him to sign the non-disclosure agreement.
1: <laughs> He's kind of cramped up at that time. He just <laughs> put the pen in his hand and just wiggled it around. Um, but needless to say, the next, the very next day, um, the attendant and I were in a uh, edit suite at CKCO watching the footage, and that's, I think, when it really struck me you know, that after the fact and you're looking at the footage, that's when things are really sinking in like, holy fuck, you know, like you didn't, you didn't, Ah. you know, you didn't feel that way when you're shooting it or acquiring it, but you know, it was just the emotion and looking at it after and going like, whoa, you know, that's
2: interesting. You kind of set yourself aside from the actual event while you're shooting. Yeah. You
1: know, and it's really, it's troubling that way as well. I mean, I I wouldn't be shooting it if, if suddenly you, you know, had a heart attack or you needed assistance or whatever, and there's nobody else around. I'm not going to stand over you and, you know, do that. I mean,
0: well, I was actually going to just ask if you're at a, if if you're at an event like the Grand Prix or something and a car goes off the track or something, obviously, I guess you start wanting to go there. Right. And you want to see the tire fly off the car and the explosion. Obviously you don't want anybody to get hurt but your your is your first um uh reaction to move the camera to it or is it that you look first and
2: then go like what what's or do you continue shooting the race and not pay attention to the accident where the car went into the audience
1: I mean, it really—it really depends on what you're doing. A lot of uh, races that I've shot are like multi-camera, like for sure, Speedweek, you know. Yeah. So you're at Mo's Port or you're at. Mount and you're Jean on Blanc. a headset, and yeah, you're, yeah, totally right. So I mean, in that case, they would call you off of it. But in most cases, anyway, that's going to take you to commercial break or whatever because there's yellow flags around the track, right? But for the most part, you—you you, like I said—you follow the puck. You just try to maintain, you know, your frame. Sometimes, you know, you you don't look around from the viewfinder. And I've known cameramen, like I'd shot one crash at Boseport where I picked up the crash and then the car went by me on the other side of the the, uh, the track. But just down from me was another camera guy on, on uh, scaffolding. And that car, like, was just inches away from the side of him. You know, like if he'd been out looking like that, I'm sure he would have got hurt somehow. But. Wow you know, and it's treacherous as well. When you're, when you're shooting auto racing, you, there's all kinds of debris that comes off the track. Like, you know, the rubber from tires and, and things like that are just uh, rocks or whatever. Um, one of my most infamous, uh, that I recall that I didn't like, but uh, it was at Mount Tremblant and, um, it was an Audi. I was on corner three. So They get the start race, they cut to another camera, and they cut to me, and the cars come over the hill and they're gonna go like that. And I'm on a big studio camera and I'm behind, just behind the guardrail. And of course, I've got, um, you know, two or three layers of old rubber tires in front of me, right? So the Audi that I'm tracking comes up over the hill, and all of a sudden I notice he's not going right. He's coming straight towards me. And as soon as he gets off the asphalt, he's on grass which, you know, picks the vehicle speed up even more. And he came in totally right straight towards me. And I just, you know, sphincter tightened up and just held it. And then all of a sudden,
3: bang!
1: This barrage of water that's been stinking in these tires for like three years. (laughs) It is all over. It smelled like, you know, swamp water for sure, right? And I mean, and then when the car hit... I see him going that way, and I just followed him like that. It was like slow motion, right? And you're like, fuck. And I I remember the director going, man, I got to take that out and put it on my reel. So when I'm talking about camera guys and following (laughs) the accidents, that's the one, right? And I said, "Uh, yeah, this is Danny on camera three. Do you mind if I take a few minutes and just wipe the swamp water off the camera and myself?
2: (laughs) Oh man!
1: Where yeah. was this? Mount Trumpal. Mount trouble, yeah. Right on. Yeah. I don't
0: know how many times I've seen like a YouTube video of like a close call or, or something, but of like a rally race. Yeah. You know, and the car comes flying up, and of course it goes into the wall and all this stuff. And there's a photographer standing by the wall, and all he does is take one step back. Car Boom. goes whipping by, <laughs> and then he just turns. Starts well,
3: catching ra- that. Yeah,
1: rally racing is is definitely crazy. I mean, I uh, I did World uh, Rally Championship one time in, in Portugal and some of the places and locations that we went to and you're just watching like i'm shooting In trying Portugal, to get like can imagine. yeah i'm trying to get the best angles and i mean there's no barriers when you're watching rally race yeah right there's no you know police line or rope or guardrail or whatever you see those people hanging out and all of a sudden the car comes shooting up over the it's hill crazy. and taking air and crazy. you know yeah i mean if you want to see that's the place to go actually while we're talking why don't you just take your phone there and um and google on uh youtube um uh targa newfoundland uh car house crash targa targa newfoundland
0: newfoundland and uh,
1: car house i think that'll get you there
0: car house
1: Did oh, you yeah. shoot that? Yeah, this is one of my shots that uh, is on.
2: <laughs> Can we share that on
1: there? Yes, of course. Oh, okay. Yeah, totally.
2: Well, yeah, I'll put it up on the. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Jesus. So th- this is your this is your perspective yeah. right here. Yeah,
1: I was the only guy there.
2: So, I that wasn't supposed to happen. Really. No, no. <laughs> Look at this guy's just getting out. It's that hilarious. Out there? It just kind of just stopped. It was awesome. Some guy's house.
0: This guy just getting out like it is his house. That's funny, Michael Louie. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I'll see if I can put that up. Safety equipment did his job. Did that's that's funny. Yeah. Andrew did something similar a while <laughs> back on a TV series. It's um, shooting. It's on air now, I guess. Uh, I won't mention it. Doesn't matter. But he had to drive a pickup truck and slam into an, immo- an immovable object at you know full at speed. Um and uh the driver of the truck in the show dies. Yeah. But uh yeah but
0: yeah that was fun. Wow. But I didn't fuck up my win at the end of a race. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I did it cuz I had to do it on purpose. It's so yeah. funny. Wow, that's wild. That would have been fun. Yeah. I mean, but the car could have just been 10 feet forward and come your way.
1: Well, I recall as well, like basically we had a team of uh, three or four videographers, single camera shooting, right? Dropped off at different locations during the legs of the rally. Mm -hmm. And I saw this sweeping corner and rather, I mean, you don't want just a straight on shot, boring, right? So I ended up choosing that spot. And it's funny because um, before the actual rally at that leg would start, they would send officials around and they would drive to make sure everything's clear from the track or whatever, before they start the leg of that rally race. And I remember, I I thought, okay, I'm gonna get dropped off here. This is where I'm gonna stand, but I'm gonna wait until the rally car, the the officials go by. So I hid over behind one of the other houses, you know, and all of a sudden the orange lights on the official car comes by and everything. And then I went, okay, Mm -hmm. good. And Then I went and set up because I thought at the time as well, just the you know, the apex of that corner, they might have said, listen, we don't want you standing there. If you can go over there, you can go over there, right? right? So I didn't want to jeopardize that. And luckily, yeah, it all worked out and you know it was it was pretty fun. It was uh, I mean, that no one got hurt. See, I mean, that's the big thing as well. It's the fact that if you're in a situation where you can get the greatest crash, but if somebody dies, chances are it ain't going on air sure right you know you just take it up to the part of the incident or the the collision or whatever (laughs) and then that's it the fact that i was able to walk up to the car and these guys are getting out of the car was just like wow this is gold jerry yeah 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 totally because if one guy was sitting in there bleeding or whatever and you know i don't know what would have happened they did
0: kind of the video is kind of funny they did get out so casually yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah I know. It would like, have been even funnier if the and Mike lady Lulee, that owned the house
1: just came out. And- yeah, nobody was at the house at the time, but Mike Luley, the driver, I met him years after that, actually. I, I got a great photo of him and I at uh, Pearson's uh, Air Candle Lounge. He was going to Italy. I was going to Germany or something like that. But I finally went up to him and said, hey, I'm the guy, you know, and he went, oh, well, wow. you know, we shook hands or whatever. But I didn't know him when he crashed. And that's why I didn't say anything to him because when he got out of that car, the look on his face—yeah, he wasn't happy. Right? It was just like, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it was For all sure. right to talk talk to uh, the other guy, but not not uh, Mike at that time. So, okay.
0: Well, he was the one steering the car. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know it's, it was such a just. I mean, this the Mike Lully has Ferraris, and I mean he he wasn't just some amateur off the street, right? No, this guy no, had man. raced cars had before. Passions? Don't imagine. Yeah. 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 And by the way, it was a Subaru, just in case anyone wants to know. (laughs) Um,
0: Well, I was just going to ask. This is obviously very exciting work uh, to be uh, the camera in the car that's on two wheels or in the plane. But um, you said when you were young, you were just kind of like going at it. You're just trying to get work. It doesn't work the same anymore, I don't imagine, for a young kid trying to get into videographer.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know what the business is like these days, right? Everyone has a camcorder. Everyone's a professional. Um, yeah, know, we are. You know, yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> the old saying, right? Uh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't want to pay a little bit more for a professional. Well, then, you know. Yeah. Give a couple dollars to an amateur and then tell me what what it's all about, right? Yeah, <clears throat> well,
0: it's amazing what people are catching today on their cameras. Like, oh, well, you know what? And so I'm funny.
1: I'm fucking, I'm always jealous. I'm going like, you know, I mean, I don't know how many minutes of video or film that I've shot in my life, but it, it's amazing that even when you're in a situation where you're where the public isn't, the public's in a place where they can be and they capture some crazy stuff. You oh, know, like. Yeah. Somebody has a camera first day, and all of a sudden, you know, it's viral, right? And it's excellent quality. Well, no, you're right. It is. I mean, you shoot 4K on my phone right now. I mean, uh, the funny thing is I I always say to people, yeah, I got this new camera, and I show them my my phone, and I said, yeah, and it came with a phone app. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. You know, because <laughs> it's pretty much what they do. Yeah, it's you funny know, it's though. Like... there's
0: never great quality during uh, UFO videos or uh, <laughs> or ghost videos.
1: Yeah, yeah totally right. <laughs> they need new filters huh. for sure.
2: <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's neat, man. No one's ever been able to catch Sasquatch on, on a good quality camera. Yeah. Have you? we should get Danny out there <laughs> yeah you gotta
0: no, we'll put forests, you in the man. suit
1: man we'll do we'll recreate that gorilla walking old 16 mil film that you know is an infamous Sasquatch video right it's like this abruder <laughs> film in a way yeah. it's always your go-to when you want to talk you know Sasquatch you go with that if you want to talk assassination you go with that
0: well that's a good point though I mean how often uh are, are people catching stuff that are they're making up they must oh be we well shit exactly
1: out. you know what and with AI now i mean yeah, can captures and, and and look Sasquatch, at look at how yeah. many things are being taken away from your profession as well with computer animation mm-hmm. or you know totally. Totally, totally different way of capturing things or creating them and the scary part is <clears throat> that a lot of the stuff looks so real Right, I mean, yeah, sometimes it really it's does. difficult. You, I almost have to freeze a frame, you know, zoom in, check out the pixels along the insert or whatever, I and mean, just to see what's going down. Um, yeah, I'm always amazed at uh, a lot of that stuff, and the quality is pretty good. But I don't know; it's just changed so much, right? I mean, yeah, when you think of of how much, like, my son has shown me this program where it takes a character's face from one movie and puts it into a scene of another one, right? And it's seamless and it's, and it, because it's AI, it's totally new. It's creative, right? Even though you've taken one image, one copywritten image and another copywritten image and melded the two together, mashed them up, you know, now you have something totally different that looks really cool. But I even know as a Getty, uh, submit or photographer, they won't even allow you to do AI or take AI and submit it for stock footage just because they, they don't know no because of the rights.
0: Right. But AI is the new artist. Oh, it is. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, 10 years ago, it was like uh, getting filter apps for your camera and going, wow now you you can get them where they take out the background and Mm -hmm. fill it up with anything you want right yeah 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 and then you look at the movies these days that you guys are doing and like how much green screen and like how like a lot of a lot uh, of movies a a, lot of movies entire movie but yeah like uh, you've seen green screens that are going like holy fuck look at how big that green screen is right you just go whoa but yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah, it is wild. And and it, and as
1: well, I mean, I find it difficult. Well, I, I find it sorry for the actors because a lot of the times, you know, I mean, it's imaginary, right? It, I don't know if you know this, but um, I sent your dad a link. I, I shot a cartoon in Hamilton at CHCH called Sons of Butcher. Oh, really? That cartoon where we actually used... It was about you. Yeah, <laughs> we used real heads, but it was animated flash animation for the bodies of the cartoons, right? so i mean we had that back then but even now i mean it's just the transition is just amazing
0: yeah it is crazy sometimes i think that eventually this kind of thing is gonna take over uh you know even just human emotion will just be eventually it'll just there'll be no purpose forever. well i even
1: find it sad as well that you know there's apps now that you can get or Programs that you can get that will create the narration for you in a film with an AI yeah. Yeah. You know, voice. I want a female voice, about forty-five. You know, Chat uh, man.
0: Yeah, I was that just
2: going to ask you about that. I yeah. watched a video about it. It's crazy.
0: It is. You
2: type it in, and, and it's typing out. It's writing movies. Yeah. yeah.
1: What accent do you want? Um, you know, I mean, there's so many different uh, programs out there that.
0: Now, a friend of mine, a friend of mine mm-hmm. who works at Lionsgate. Uh, or either either that or he knows he works in entertainment but I'm not sure maybe he's just through friends or something but uh, they had mentioned that all their new writers have to use typewriters
1: oh old school stuff
0: yeah they go they have to go old school just for just to know they're getting real, I guess the real to, deal yeah that they're getting the real deal oh, which I find very interesting um, I don't interesting. know how well it's going to work for anybody but it's that's lot,
1: that's neat. Couldn't you just do it with the laptop offline?
0: <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. Listen, I don't have Wi Fi here. <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm at the cottage. Excuse me. Do we have any whiteout available?
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. much for a
2: paperless office. Yeah. yeah. It's
0: kind of crazy. I mean,
1: it sounds unbelievable, but. Can someone empty my trash bin? I got so much paper. Well, here. you know. Yeah,
2: yeah. Grocery True. stores are going back to pla- uh, paper bags. Why couldn't they film it as you go yeah. back to typewriters?
0: Yeah. I hope I mean, that we I mean, go back a little bit. Just. I
1: remember in college when I went there, which <clears throat> was what seventy nine to eighty three, we had to fight to try to get a typewriter, like all hours of the day. Right, you'd only have so many public typewriters in the in the college or in your a- actual course, but it's not like we had typewriters in our home, right? It's right, at least electronic.
2: Yeah, years ago, a buddy of mine worked for mm-hmm. IBM. Oh was, yeah, and I bought two typewriters, identical, so I could have one at the karate club and one at my house. And I tabbed them all the same so I could take my scripts back and forth.
1: Nice. Yeah.
2: Went through a lot of paper.
1: Yeah. And ribbons and everything else. Yeah. <laughs> <was> yeah. like.
2: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Crazy. So what are you doing now, Danny?
1: What am I doing now? Hey, look, <clears throat> hey
2: while we're talking about that, show yeah. Andrew that book there, the, the art one. Uh, this was uh, during COVID. Um, yeah. Danny was.
1: I uh, was house ridden. A lot of the series that I was shooting, you know, just went into reruns or whatever. So I started uh, creating digital photos. Um, Just basically, I've got a few programs that I use, including Photoshop, and uh, just, you know, started going crazy every day. Giving me something to do, something to A creative uh,
2: outlet during COVID. Show, show the. Can I
1: lift this and yeah, show you, the camera? Yeah, yeah, no worries. Yeah, do whatever you want to do. This is you for me. You,
2: you could even hold it upside down because.
1: Yeah, that, well, that's the great <laughs> thing about it is that all of my images are on transparency. I don't know if the. So the background, the background can be any color you want, um, and all of the shots as well are like eight K. What do you mean when you say these are shots? Well, they're images. They're digital images. Though I call it shots, but the digital really? image.
0: Like I, I, figure, yeah. So what, what, what are you shooting though
1: exactly here? I'm not shooting anything. What I'm doing is actually creating. <clears throat> it's I very know, cool. It's neat stuff. Have you ever heard of Mandelbot? No. Well, it's basically it's three dimensional fractals, and these are fractals as well. So it's almost like <clears throat> it's 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 hmm. almost like AI in a way. But for me as well, like I have the last say in how I want it to look, what color I want it to look, what shapes I want to include in it, how I want to stretch the image, how I want to just make the palette, you know, work any way I can.
2: That's a lot of images in this book.
1: Wow. Yeah, well, I have over it's, a thousand interesting. now. That's cool. But if you get into maybe some in the back there that have black backgrounds, I like them maybe the best. But. <clears throat>
0: Oh, look at this! That's cool.
1: And because they're all in 8K, the the quality <clears throat> is outstanding. I mean, you could stand like this far away from it and still see all the details, sharp and clean.
0: It's interesting. This this would, this kind of stuff would actually look really cool, blown up. And yeah, put no, on, well. it would,
2: yeah, absolutely. That's what. Wow. I
1: was yeah. So right now, I basically have um, this uh, housing organization in Waterloo. That are looking at all of these for you know potential um, images for their new condos that they're putting up in Waterloo. Yeah, to display in the condos. This this company's got a new. I think they're going to open up in Cambridge as well. But it's basically like a hotel, but they're condos. So you have all the furnishings. Okay. And then what they like to do as well is that if they're in Hamilton, they'll get local Hamilton artists to uh, submit, you know, and maybe use their work. In Cambridge it'd be the same thing. Right. So it gives that, you know, basically location a a nice name for the art art world.
0: And Danny Bailey.ca, is this where somebody can actually buy this book? Uh
1: well I I could send you a link if they want to look at the book online or buy it. Sure. Okay. But I you know what? I mean, most of my books I haven't really had them for sale. There's more of like just personal stuff. Okay. You know? Um and uh this one here, this Got together with a bunch of my friends probably back in the mid 2000s, and they're all riders. And of course, I like shooting a lot of motorsport. So we just got together and uh, shot a bunch of motorcycles. Shot a bunch of <clears throat> motorcycles. But um, yeah. I would... But I can send you links to yeah, a- any I'll, of that I'll stuff or whatever for sure. Uh, okay. Um, i did a documentary on friday the 13th of port dover released back in 2003 which was uh kind of nostalgic now if i look back at it because it was during the time when during the friday the 13th whether it be the winter time the springtime, or the summertime, you could still ride your bike down main street you know it was still a parade the whole day mm-hmm. rather than having everything closed off and uh, so, I mean, it, it's kind of fantastic, more historical now. I think when I look back at it and, uh, I shot there all four seasons and, uh, it was a lot of fun. Sweet. I used to love going, man.
0: Yeah, we had a lot I of fun. I haven't been now. in a
1: long time. But... Shot a lot of snowmobiling. Um, a couple of shows I had on TSN for the longest time was, uh, motoring TV, which, uh, just went off the air actually after 33 years, I was with them for 29 years. Snow Tracks Television, which is a snowmobiling uh, adventure show, shot that until uh, our host passed away in two thousand seven. Uh-huh. Um, other documentaries um, I did. Have you ever heard of the Canes Quest snowmobile race? No. That takes place in Labrador.
0: In yeah, in the east, the 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 several days.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Did uh, the two thousand sixteen documentary on that? I shot uh, with friends. Um,
0: who, I know somebody who did that.
2: I, I don't do remember. anything with snow, Danny.
1: Yeah, well, I understand as well. I mean, uh, we spent like a, I'm blown away by uh, Ken Block getting killed. Oh man! Right in a snowmobile accident. I look back and I go, "Holy fuck!" Guy could all have died all the, in a billion ways. Well, yeah, and I, and I think back. You know, he died snowmobiling, and I and I think back as well that oh my god, you know, there's just so many times when any of us could have just you know. Moose came out or, you know, whatever, Absolutely. malfunction of the engine or, sure. you know, screaming across a frozen lake and all of a sudden hitting a pile of ice and just losing it or whatever. Um, I do have one snowmobile uh, story. Um, when I was shooting snowmobile, uh, snowmobiles, we were up in uh, Halliburton and I'd shot, uh, I don't know, it was like a poker run for the whole day for the show, right? And basically I always had a two-up sled. So I had the sofa sled, you know. Oh, nice! And uh, I would take my camera bag and my gear and everything, and strap it to the back the backrest of the the sled. Right?
2: You learned that from the airplane one.
1: Yeah, it was a, it was always a bungee cord. I should have. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, so we're in Halliburton Days End, and now we're going back to where we're staying. And so we went from one lake, which is right down t- downtown uh, Halliburton through a little channel, and then goes into another lake, and we were staying at the other side of the lake. And for some reason, I don't know why, but I was the last person. There was like eight of us, all individual sleds. And we get to the channel, and all of a sudden, I see the ice breaking in front of me. So the first thing I did was just, just took the throttle and just... Trying to you know maintain that motion to get out from the ice. Wow. And then all of a sudden the sled starts going backwards <clears throat> the skis fortunately hooked on the ice in front of me Ooh. so i rolled i rolled off the sled to finally getting to a dock that was just you know maybe about 30 feet from where i was in the lake grabbed this uh, rope that was tied to the dock and then i shimmied out and i tied it to the front ski taunt so that we wouldn't lose the sled if it happened to go all the way under and then I'm looking, I'm looking at my camera gear, and, and it's, it's submerged. Slowly uh, dipping, yeah. And now everything is underwater, you know. No backrest, because the sled's underwater, right? So
2: Now, I'm only guessing, but that's not good for camera stuff.
1: No, no not really. Not well, you know what? Fresh water is better than salt water. <laughs> yeah, let, me just, yeah. let me just say that. Yeah, but cold. Yeah. Cold, cold water. <clears throat> I don't know. So needless to say, and you know what? It was back in the day when we were shooting those little digital videotapes or right. whatever. Yeah. So it wasn't like cards today where you know probably wouldn't affect the card but I had the whole day shoot on this tape right and uh, so anyway got back to where we were staying I got tools out I took the camera apart as much as I could right and I <clears throat> got the hair dryer and I'm you know just letting it go and trying to dry it out and then next day we go back to uh the studio and they were able to eject the tape And uh, it was pretty much dry at the time, so they thought, okay, well, let's just put it in the machine, and if it runs, dupe it. And so fortunately, yeah, they were able to play the tape. It actually played, and they were able to make a duplicate, so we didn't lose the feature that day.
2: And and the camera, is it, that's fine?
1: No, the camera was toast, I think, yeah, for sure.
2: Damn, crazy.
1: Yeah,
0: You've been in some crazy scenarios, even when you're not shooting.
1: <laughs> oh, here's another one. What
3: the fuck's He's going on? I got,
0: I
1: got another one. A lot of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got another one. So talking about snowmobiling, right? Um, our show, our show, snow, snow tracks television. Um, at the end of every episode, 30-minute episode on TSN, we would have this guy who would give the safety message. And this guy was a clown character, like would be in the Imper- Imperial sure. Hell Drivers or whatever. He did everything wrong all the time, right? His name was Sled Ed. He had a mask, like a ski mask on, one of those half helmets, one piece snowmobile suit. And he would ride, well, most of the time he'd ride this old um, Skidoo Olympic called Christine. Um, and he would always get into trouble. At the end, you know, that's the safety message was don't be Ed. Right, And that's how we always, so it was always Uh a stunt, some kind of thing that was going to happen to actually engage the wrongdoing so that we could have it as a safety message. Mm. Mm. I always remember your line during backyard stunting, right? Safety first, right? Yes fuck we were oh, so we're weird about safety it, right? no, we're safety last i think was in our books for you know doing any of the stunts that we were going to do we had a great uh snowmobile junkyard near barry or whatever that had all these old one lung relics and the funny thing about these old snowmobiles they wouldn't die you know you put some alcohol in the carburetor or whatever and they would start right up that's like me <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so i mean we had we had tons of sleds that we could wreck you know so it was it was great and anyway <clears throat> we had a dummy we only had like one costume and when it came time to wreck the sled we had a full up you know bendable mannequin and we would take the clothes off a of bed put it on the mannequin put the mannequin on the sled put the mannequin's arms out on, <laughs> on the bars and then duct tape The throttle wide open with the mannequin's hand, right? And then basically go to where we ever thought that the snowmobile was gonna go, whatever line. Oh my God. Right? And then, so we had a couple of guys that, and and, and like I said, I follow the puck, right? So I would have my shot sort of figured out and know where hopefully the action was gonna happen. And we would have one guy, he'd lift up the track off the ground. The other guy start the machine up and now it's like
3: Wah!
1: and the other guy would drop the track and then the mannequin is going with the snowmobile yeah. hopefully crashing into or taking the line of where we needed to go right
0: the crash test dummy yeah
1: so this one instance and i have a photo of this somewhere that you can use as well but anyway <clears throat> uh We get the dummy ready and basically the storyline was that you're not supposed to, you know, snowmobile in ditches, right? Lollygag around, riding in the ditches on a back road or whatever. And so basically what was going to happen was Ed is doing this. He's frolicking in the ditch or whatever. And then all of a sudden, bang, he hits a culvert. Yeah. Right? Which was always the dangerous part about snowmobiling in a ditch. So get the dummy ready, get the snowmobile ready. Lift it up, start it up, let it go. Bang! Hits the culvert. The dummy flies over the top of the bars, right? And we're going, holy fuck! Most of the time, we'd have to run. We'd have to run to the snowmobile to stop it, like
3: you know, because it's
1: still to whatever it crashed into, right? So we get the snowmobile stopped, and then all of a sudden, we hear from the. This is like a dirt road, back road. We hear this woman say. It's okay. I've called for an ambulance. And we look up and here's the school bus driver. She closes her window and she drives off. And we're going like, what the But it's a dummy. (laughs) Right? So sure enough, like maybe about five minutes later, OPP coming down the road, flashing lights. And all of a sudden, followed by an ambulance as well, right? (laughs) So I'm going to make a long story short. Fortunately... The property that we were on, we had permission. we had permission because it was one of the host's <clears throat> farms, sure. right? And so our producer host actually knew the cop, Okay, was friends with the cop. So when the cop came and he saw us all and Ed and everything, he went... He just rolled his eyes. Yeah, it, right. And so, I mean, we had to apologize and all that. And he's going, well, maybe next time get a permit or whatever. And we're going, yeah, okay. You know, it's like... <laughs> But um, yeah, I mean, the snowmobiles were crazy. We had another short story. Um, Ed's riding in a uh, area where he's not supposed to ride because they're mining. They're blasting, right? So of course, what's gonna happen in the end? He's sitting on his snowmobile. He's got his map open because he's he's uh, lost. And of course, then you hear
3: burr, burr,
1: the blast horn. Right, because I mean, in the beginning, he passes a sign that goes danger, you know, like because sure. of blasting or whatever. So we set it up that way. He stops the machine during his trail ride. He's opening his map up. Then we go to the wide shot, and then all of a sudden, we hear the horn go a couple of times, and then boom! Right, the fucking sled. So <laughs> it blew up into like I don't know how many pieces, I and mean, there was shrapnel everywhere. But what was really crazy was the fact that. We hadn't met the guy who had the dynamite until the day before. He worked and was a licensed, I don't know, explosion, demolition guy, demolition guy at a mine in Sudbury. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I remember, I mean, most of our, our, all the planning was like on a napkin the day before. Okay, this is the scene. This is what we're going to do. It's always right? best. You know. Yeah. And then we Still got the plan. We got the guy, the dynamite guy, right? So we're going through with him. And he said, okay, well, how high do you want the sled to jump? You know, like, how high do you want it? And we're going, like, I don't know, like eight feet maybe or whatever. We just need to know that Ed's blowing up, right? And he said, okay. Uh, he said, all right, one stick of dynamite will do that, all right. And I'll bring my big rubber mat, and we'll put that down with, between the dynamite and the sled, and that'll dampen the explosion. And so finally we get set up the next day, and uh, I remember... The producer says, hey, we're going to get the uh, Sudbury newspaper down here to shoot behind the scenes. And I go, not with me in the shot, you're not. I said, you know, there's no way because, you know, of course, we don't even have a fire extinguisher that I'm going to get involved with any, you know, press, you know, making a story out of us doing this with dynamite. So anyway, we had like three or four cameras set up. Most of them are unmanned because at that time, you know, we didn't have a budget or whatever, but we got them far enough away and on the action, zoomed in or whatever. I was behind a cement wall. We give the cue to uh, start rolling and then we cue the guy with the dynamite, the blast or whatever, and we're rolling and all of a sudden, boom, the sled, I'm, I'm telling you, man, it went like over 30 feet in the air. And just blasted everything (laughs) apart. I mean, the only thing that we really found was the cowl, you know, and the dummy, which were, I mean, the divot that, the divot was like six feet deep. I'm not shitting, right?
2: That's, that's with his rubber mat on top.
1: So the guy thought, well, when he went home, he went, yeah, maybe one stick of dynamite isn't good enough. So he thought, well, maybe I'll use three. And he didn't use a mat. (laughs)
2: <clears throat> okay, so the planning stage with the <clears throat> napkin went right out the window.
1: And then this guy's drive home to Sudbury before the night before the, the stunt's going to happen.
2: And were you guys informed? No, of his- we had
1: no idea. He didn't even tell us what his plan was. He
2: gave him the napkin, and he used it to wipe his face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I yeah. Think the moral <clears throat> of this show is uh, ask permission. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs>
1: But anyway, it's on sled, uh, sled Ed's greatest hits. That's Sled Ed. Yeah, Sled Ed's Ed. Ed. greatest hits. Yeah, I mean it was a it was a crazy show. I mean, but it was fulfilling in the sense that you knew you were gonna wreck something at the end of the day. Yeah. You know? Like we yeah, we, we got permission from like CNN or CN, CN Railway to crash into a locomotive. Oh wow. You know? Okay. And then on another one that oh. I wanted to do, which we didn't get permission from, was I always thought it'd be cool if the sled could come off a train bridge. Yeah, that's true. And into the valley bubble, right? Yeah. So,
0: yeah, why not?
1: (laughs) So, the day day we're doing that, we we prepped the dummy and everything. We're at the beginning of the train bridge. And uh, anyway, I got a camera, like a small camera on the bridge. We've got two people down below and one person following it from the top. Anyway, we finally, cameras are rolling, right? start the sled up drop the track now it's speeding down the railway track and then it deviates maybe about eight feet into the bridge it's it's headed towards the the side of the bridge and all of a
3: sudden
1: (sighs) it was like six seconds maybe the shot from beginning to end right and it landed in the river in the ravine below the train bridge and it was such a great shot because the uh, snowmobile submerged in water, and the dummies just sort of like floating on the top of the water, face down like this. <laughs> so, I mean, it was a great, great sequence. But the the bad part about that whole thing was, it took us like an hour to set it up. It took us six hours to pull the sled yeah. out of the river because we had to take oh, it man. out with us, yeah, right? Yeah. And we had to pull it all the way back up to the oh, top of the man. bridge, right? So I mean that took a lot of man work a lot of ropes and a lot of pulling. So in no life shit.
2: do people on snowmobiles drive across train trestles over rivers?
1: Uh mostly well, if you're daredevil you could. I mean you're I've never you're thought. breaking Yeah, tra- I mean you're trespassing. That's ridiculous. <clears throat> but in a lot of places as well because the rail lines have been taken out that a lot of the bridges have been refurbished with the rails off just for snowmobiles to cross over like the ties have boards on top okay. or whatever. And so well, it's sure, smooth. if it's
2: designed for it, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. yeah of course. Okay. Uh, I, I, I've never driven a snowmobile. I've been on tons of them, but yeah. personally, I've never well,
1: driven one. That that it, sort of reminds me as well. Um, back growing up in Tilsonburg, we had three train bridges around the area. And of course, back in the day, as, as kids, we'd walk the rail lines all the time. You know, It was not a big thing about trespassing on right. CN lines. I did that so, growing up in Cambridge. Yeah. And having three train bridges, I mean, it was always the daredevil thing to walk across, you know, because you're looking down, you're, you could see between the ties as you're walking, getting fucking freaked out and mm-hmm. all that. And what we started doing <clears throat> was we would see the train coming down the tracks. So right at the train, right at the, uh, where the bridge would be, uh, in the embankment, it was usually like a cement structure holding it on the end. And there are always like a cubby hole in there and we would sit under there. And then the train would get louder and louder and louder. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, whoa, like just three feet on top of you, right? The, tr- the locomotive is pulling whatever. And then, I don't know if you know this as well, but a lot of train bridges also had these boxes that were boarded to the side, which uh-huh. usually held wat- like a 40-gallon drum of water. Okay. In case there was a fire on the bridge. I don't know what, like how you're going to use the water anyway, like a scoop or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, But over the years, I guess, you know, like a lot of these train bridges, somebody, you know, there wasn't <laughs> any water in the drums. They tossed them over. Hey. So they were empty. And we would, we would sit inside those where the barrels used to be and then just shuddering, you know, the train getting louder, louder, louder. Oh. Close your eyes. And you just hear this thing like. A meter away, if not less, right? Yeah, just yeah, yeah, Scare the shit out of you, but the adrenaline rush was so fantastic. Now
2: I've got to put up that sign: "Do not try at home." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh <Yeah. laughs> my
1: god! Do not try any of the things that we talk about.
2: Yeah, yeah. So Danny, you've been in this. You've been in. You've been shooting long enough to see um, the transformation. Yeah. Of um, tape to digital. Um. Tell us a little bit about that, just real quick. On
1: well, I think, you know what? Um, cameras, technology. Yeah, yeah. Shortly, um, you know, there was actually 35 millimeter that most movie makers used. And then, of course, uh, 16 millimeter was used in the war. The sure. wars and all of that became the, the portable um, method of gathering images. And then, of course, like in the 50s, and I can't remember the cinematographers back then, but there was one guy who... I think it was with the NFB or whatever, and put the camera on his shoulder and gave a whole new perspective. Because in those days, most of the time when you're shooting, unless you had a little wind-up bolex or you're always shooting off a tripod, right. right? You're always shooting off a tripod. And then all of a sudden, the camera went to the shoulder and the mobility and the POV, mm-hmm. uh, all of that became new, a new way of gathering images, right? And so that mm. exploded. And, and 16 millimeter film, uh, mostly silent, became the standard for news gathering at that time. Um, I mean, the networks, of course, had a sound person or they were recording magnetic sound on their film if they had the budget. Um, so when I came in, um, 16 millimeter sort of slowly was losing its strength around 1978 when video was coming in and you could now buy a video camcorder and, and made editing. You didn't have to process the, the film You know, it was instant. You could take the tape out of the machine, put it in an editor, you know, or broadcast it immediately if you had a player. Um, At the time when videotape uh, got to that point, there was something like over the years, like 29 different formats of recorders. It wasn't like a standard, like a cassette, an audio cassette where, you know, or an eight track tape where, you know, it was standard, right? But if you had twenty nine different formats, you meant that whatever format you shot on the tape, it would only be played back on that uh, certain piece of machinery.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I've got a lot of mm-hmm. tape that I, I've hoarded. Um, where I don't even think that they have. I don't even know why I have the tape, other than you know. You just have no like, playback capability. Yeah, I mean, it's even like the the tape that I recorded of our ventures there it's like you know oh yeah okay I still have VHS yeah okay but I don't have M1 or M2 or you know IVC or you know any of the crazy formats that I'd used over the days Um, very happy to uh, to see digital come in Um, funny story (laughs) Um, I was in uh, South Korea during the Special Olympic uh, Winter Games and at that time, uh, we were using Sony. Sony, what the hell number was it? She's it eludes me right now. But anyway, uh, Spielberg shot his uh, third Star Wars with this. It was a video camera, right? Uh, 1080. So it was a really you know the camera was worth like 140 grand or whatever. And uh, so anyway, I'm back and I'm in Korea, and this was um, maybe about nine years ago. I'm at the end of uh, a uh, cross-country skiing race. And I was re- using digital Betacam at that time. And uh, so anyway, at one point I'm standing there, there's a couple of uh, young Korean guys standing beside me. And uh, anyway, I eject the tape because I need a new, new tape to and I put it in the camera. And I hear one of the uh, youngsters beside me say to his buddy, old school. which makes you feel pretty old right (laughs) but yeah i mean as soon as digital came in it changed the world again right i mean now i wish that i had a gopro camera back in the day you know like we didn't have anything like that so if you wanted to acquire some great shots you were always like i was always you know taking my daredevil Dan and trying to get the angles, whether it be a speeding car down a roadway at a hundred miles an hour past, you know, a foot past you or whatever. Um, just trying to, (laughs) trying to get the shot, you know, trying to make it exciting, trying to give you a different angle that you have never seen before, you know, make the viewer sort of go, what's that? And then discover, okay, that's that or whatever. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't even know today. I've got like the little DJI Pocket 2 camera. It's got 4K video. It's got a three-axis gimbal, and I can hold it in my hand. I can shoot (laughs) hyperlapse, time-lapse. You know, I mean, yeah, it's just, there's no limit, right? Yeah, and Mm -hmm. it's just going to continue going. Your hard drive is your only limit. You Really? Or I shouldn't say that. I should say maybe your subscription to the cloud is your only limit. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shooting 4K, it's, it's huge files. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah.
1: Right. But, uh, yeah. So, I mean, and and the price as well. I mean, when we were shooting back in the day, it would cost us over a thousand dollars to rent a, a three quarter inch camp TV camera. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it was just horrendous how, how much it would cost. Editing would cost $250 an hour, you know, like, um, so, it wasn't attainable for a lot of people unless you had money behind you, had some sponsorship or TV station or, you know, money from somewhere to actually make and for, to mm. help you create whatever you wanted.
2: Yeah. Any advice for anybody that wants to do what you
1: do? Um. Well, I think just do what you want to do. You know, if you want to be a filmmaker, Be a filmmaker right i mean do what you want to do don't i mean you can learn you can uh you know spend your time at local cable company maybe if you want to start learning i don't think you necessarily need to go to college anymore if you want to go to college go to youtube that that's you know every yeah. everything you want to know I'll you're going sure. to have it there and it might not be the best teacher but there are so many teachers teaching that one same thing that mm-hmm. you'll find somebody that you know will tell you what you need to know um and uh don't be afraid just go out and do it right you know i mean nobody's going to come to you
2: if you if you could correct one mistake everyone does with the camera what would you Tell
3: them
1: that is. Hmm. Don't stop rolling.
2: I agree. You know, it's, it's, that. it's
1: one of those things where, you know what? <laughs> I mean, so much happens after the fact. If something happens, go for reaction. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Try to, you know, just find out what's going on. I mean, it sort of reminds me of, um, there was, uh, <clears throat> an acquaintance when the Rolling Stones were at the the temple, you know, doing the rehearsals during one of the 2000 shows. And this Rolling Stones fan would be at the back door of the Masonic Temple every night trying to get the guys leaving, right? And, I mean, that was all fun and everything, and they would come up, sign some autographs. But this guy had shot, I don't know, maybe three weeks' worth of footage, and it was the same stuff, right? Stones coming out the back door to the fans shooting, uh, doing the autographs. Same thing every night, and I'm going man, I would be shooting the reaction to the people watching the Stones come out, like, you know, oh, or yeah, Keith yeah, Richards, man. or whatever, right? To get that, you know, and especially if you want to tell a story, you can't have the same shot. And, and it, gives, it gives
0: the audience this, like, uh, yeah, it must have been exciting. Well, totally. It gives them, like, the vibe yeah, of you what it have, was like to be there.
1: Yeah, even people, you know, waiting and, and participating and maybe having their little piece of paper with a pen or, you know, like, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that, you know? I mean, you just, I, I would I often say that um, I use my third nostril. And what I mean by that is when I'm out shooting... Obi oh, he asks permission. When I'm out shooting, I, I'd always say, you know, like I'm always, it's like Gretzky, right? They always said that he could see a play ahead, mm-hmm. right? Well, same thing with me in the sense that I can visual, like I have that... Um, treasure where I can visual in my make a visual in my mind so that if I wanted to get a wide shot of where you live, I can already think of what the shot would be standing on the roof of the place across the street right? I, I can do that immediately. I can think of you know different shots, different angles, all of that and that's that's because I'm a, most of the time I'm a single shooter and I direct my own shots. So I right. need to know if I've got a shot of you, right? That I need to have a close up of Randy, but then maybe I go on the side and I shoot across the two of you, or I shoot from high above, or you know, just mixing it all up and trying to make something rather than just standing there with a camera on your shoulder and waving it around. Mm-hmm. And I think what really um, I despise these days with a lot of camera people is that um, rather than looking through a viewfinder and being you know like isolated into that that iPod, I. Um, that they're always standing back with their little screens pulled out. You You're know, looking at the trying, monitors. And it's always a wide shot, right? It's not a tight shot. There's no, you know, uh, narrow depth of field to give you some dimensional look. And, and yeah. they're always just, you know, like, you know, doing whatever. But they're never, I mean, a lot of cameras, at least yours have uh, viewfinders. A lot of them don't even come out with viewfinders anymore, right? right? Everybody's got a monitor in front of them but in most cases as well uh, a lot of people it's just wide shot after wide shot the only thing that changes is maybe the angle of the wide shot
2: interesting
0: interesting get a wide shot right now d hey there
1: it is we like our wide shots that's the establishing shot that's what takes you in right don't let the viewer have to figure out where the fuck are these guys, no, right? Well, you open ge- in the wide shot. important. Yeah.
2: But having said that, yeah. earlier you um, you mentioned, we'll get to that, bud, but no, uh, no. you mentioned the island above the Horseshoe Falls. So you start with a guy on a chase, on a lounge, uh, having a Coke, um, and then we will come back and reveal the geography. So you can do it two ways. You can start with geography sure. and go tight, or you can go tight and reveal. Yeah. So it te- it's on the story you're telling. But, um, yeah. But, well,
1: yeah, most of the time, I mean, you just don't want to confuse the the audience, right? Um, one of the things I was taught when I was <clears throat> in college was in television, you want, or even in movies, you want to give the viewer what they want when they want it. Okay. So if you think about that, a lot of the times I'll watch TV and I go, okay, cut to the wide shot, and the director cuts to the wide shot because I'm always looking at it differently anyway. Mm-hmm. But give the viewer what they want when they want it interesting yeah and that's an intuitive thing it is totally right i mean you just got to think about it if i shoot something with you and say i'm shooting a sound on tape where you know you finish your sentence then i know it's okay to cut there but don't cut halfway through the sentence right anticipate a a place where you can make the edit and then go on to the next possible shot sure
0: now do you think that uh because of digital and all this it's killing the amount of time that most people think about their next shot, or the amount of time that most directors have to, like you know, while 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 uh, film is uh, is is um, being taken out of this camera and put and a new one's coming into this camera, there's time for everyone to discuss the next shot, think about things. But now, time is like this. Do you think that has killed creativity
1: at all? I think, no, I, th- I think it really depends on your budget and how big your crew is. Really? Yeah. You know, I mean, because back in the early days, I mean, the size of the equipment, yeah, it took a long time to move from one scene to the other, especially if you're shooting with single camera, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But in today's day and age, with everything just being able to run and gun, as they call it. Yeah. You know? Um,
2: but further to Andrew's point, I kind of agree in that back in the day when we edited film i know a lot of people that have never made movies on film ever <clears throat> um, an editor would take time to consider a cut prior to cutting so they thought about it and they thought about it and today i do it i sit on my editor and I go click i don't like that click i don't like that back click so the thought process the the your um, your prep same with the director when you when you were shooting on film, you had to figure out your shooting ratio because you may end up with three days of schedule without film because you shot so much bullshit
1: prior. And I mean just think about editing on a table with your films it's like just all married together and yeah. you know, looking at a little shitty optical I've done it. Viewfinder, right? I mean mm-hmm. it's not electronic as well if you go back to the old days of editing sixteen mil or or thirty five mil, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. I just say, you know, today's kids—they have it so easy. Well, that's the thing. Well, that's
2: that—that's Andrew's point. Yeah. You're not thinking and create like creating something. You're just shooting everything
1: and then going and. The well, hopefully, you know, I mean, if you are shooting something, you have some kind of a plan that you're going with that you know will allow yeah, you to so. <clears throat> <throat> Yeah, you hope
0: yeah. so. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that like people are less creative, or that they're less, or that they're not any uh like i i imagine that there are people that that have seen older work and and are and are just better now at being creative and utilizing what we have um to offer the tools that we have to offer right. but um yeah just everything is so easy and quick that you don't have to think much about it or you're willing to maybe compromise some of your creativity because it's as easy as throwing something up on YouTube or, or whatever, like yeah. this, like this show. Yeah,
1: yeah, like we like, do with you this. You know, can I can I can I <laughs> can I plug a movie that I've yeah. always thought? Up. You know, if there if you are a filmmaker or a video, I mean, like <laughs> film has crossed over now into so many you know yeah. nouns and pronouns and whatever you want. Um, that uh, I don't know if you you know the uh, Steve Buscemi movie Living in Oblivion. No. I don't. Have you seen that? No. Oh my God. It, it's a must. It is a must. And I would say that any anyone who wants to make a film should see that film. Really? Yeah. Okay. It's available on. I'll send you the link. It's like on Pluto, I think, or Tubi or whatever. You know, it's available. Oh, so but it's newish? No, no. Um, it was probably one of Steve's, Steve's movies before Fargo. So oh, how wow. far back does that go?
0: Oh, wow. 1980s, anyway. Yeah.
1: yeah. No, but. It is so good, and, and with you guys working in the movie business, I mean, you're going to love this film, because it's oh, just... Oh, man.
0: Now I'm stoked.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, you're going to like that. Um, cool. But anyway, yeah, any young filmmaker should see that, just to see what what can happen, you know, on a movie set, um, especially indie movies, right? Hmm. And I—that's all I make usually these days. I, I belonged to six six seven for a while, but I didn't really get a lot of work with them other than EPKs and things okay. like that. Um, and you know what? I, I'm—I was just not built for union work. You know, it was just one of those things where it's a totally different world, and when you, you know, sound free like land- a gorilla the way you think running and gun you did yeah yeah, yeah totally no permission yeah. Yeah, yeah well exactly right napkin plans get yeah, the yeah. shot get I the shot that. while no. it's happening right and um but yeah i wasn't made for the union so i didn't really work on too many films at all that um i just sort of went you know uh, that's okay i i don't mind right yeah so um so anyway i i spent a lot of time on the road shooting in different countries um Kitchener, where I'm based, was always great because I was, you know, 7K from the 401, get on the 401, go to Pearson, fly out to wherever we are doing the shoot, come home. Um, Mm -hmm. I am a member of the 1 Million Mile Club with Air Canada, saying that I've flown a million miles with them. No way. Um, Yeah, one day, (laughs) this package comes to my door, FedEx or whatever. I was like, well, what the fuck is this, right? And I open it up, and it's like, congratulations, you have flown a million miles with Air Canada. And then they had this model airplane inside the box and it's on a podium and my name engraved on the bottom of it and everything saying wow. I'm a million miler. And uh, and the perks that go along with it, meaning that I don't have to fly one mile with Air Canada anymore and I'm always a 50,000-point member, which still gives me all, all of the uh, privileges of, you know, all my bags are free. I get three bags. I get to go to all the lounges, all the perks that come with being a 50,000 aeroplan elite uh, wow. traveler cool. for life. So, yeah, that was that was interesting. But, uh, you know, thinking hmm. a million miles, and that was just Air Canada. I mean, I've flown so many different aircraft that, you know.
0: How many countries have you
1: been in? Um, I think the last time I counted was like 46 or 47. Okay. And a lot of them, m- many times number uh, I see
0: yeah. yeah yeah and what where was your favorite place to go in the world
1: um I liked
3: Amsterdam Cambridge. a lot
0: Amsterdam yeah <laughs> yeah
3: <laughs> yeah
1: it was always like it's one of those known to be a one, fun place one of be. those port of calls where you know if you had the privilege to uh to actually put your itinerary together it would be like okay well we can go over to here and change to Amsterdam <laughs> and then fly to Bangkok and you right know on. like um uh, favorite places You know what I've been to a lot of places Where I'd like to go back to uh, Okay Burma would be one
0: I guess you go there to work You don't necessarily Go there to stay To some degree No No I mean out. yeah
1: No I mean it's like anything else You know you see the hotel You see the airport And then you see the location Where you're working Yeah right? Totally
0: So would you say Burma
1: Burma yeah That would uh, I don't even
0: know If I've heard of Burma
1: uh, Myanmar is what it's known as now. Okay Yeah it's a neighbor to uh, Thailand Right, Between okay. Between Thailand and India. Okay. Pakistan.
0: I've heard of those ones.
1: China, China, <laughs> yeah. Laos. Yeah, right, right in there. Over there somewhere, yeah. Yeah, I, I did a documentary back in 1985 when I was at CKCO TV and uh, a doctor, Canadian doctor had found a set of Siamese twins on a mm. trip in Burma, uh, in Mandalay, Burma, and ended up uh, this doctor was with Sick Kids Hospital, and at that time they were just beginning to separate uh, conjoined twins. Mm. And so the twins came to Toronto, and they they were separated. Um, they were born with uh, one set of male genitalia, and they made a vagina for the other guy. Uh, unfortunately for him. Nice. Um, and then anyway, I got called in. <laughs> I got called in actually. An, not to do the hospital shoot, but to do the shoots where there was two different shoots where we turned the twins back to Burma. And so I did those launches back to Burma. And this is back in the days before 1988 when the riots happened and the, the government, you know, fell and the, the military took over. And But there, it was, I ran, ran into a guy who's, who was there during the Second World War as a soldier, and he says, you know what, nothing's changed here. You know, hmm. and yeah, and as a socialist republic and almost communist in a way, because Russia put a lot of stuff into that, that it was just a place where, you know, time had forgotten. And, um, hmm. and I remember as well, we had, a, uh, a member of the government, uh, of information with us the whole time we we're shooting. We were the first camera crew in 1985. Uh, to be given a two-week visa to go into the country to shoot. The only previous was in 1961 when National Geographic had been in there. So the country had been so closed off. But fortunately for us, we were shooting a show or a a documentary where the whole country knew of these twins. They were like everywhere we went, they were like stars, right? Um, But uh, yeah, so we did two trips to Burma that year and that was that oh. was pretty interesting it was the first time i'd ever shot in southeast asia as well so you that's know neat. Huh. but i've shot in korea i've shot in japan uh, many times uh, china many times um, thailand uh, and then in the middle east as well dubai quite a few times and then dubai eh? yeah oh that's a crazy place my bad i remember the last time we were in dubai <clears throat> I can't remember the name of the hotel, but we were we were staying at the tallest hotel in the world. Oh, yeah,
0: which one's that again? That the well that's not be, but... no,
1: that's not the Burj. The Burj is the, the tallest building. Okay. Right. But this is like the tallest hotel in okay. the world, right? And what I remember about that place is hotels the... want to be tall too. <laughs> yeah. 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 Robots need love too. Um, that uh you know, they're boasting, yes, we're the tallest hotel in the world. Yeah. Right. But you couldn't get Pornhub or YouTube, uh, U you porn on your your cell phone. What right? the fuck? Yeah, the internet was just like totally concealed to you know maybe the local Bolton board of Dubai or something, and then as well, no alcohol as well. So here you are in the middle of, you know, like one of the richest places in the world and you can't even get a beer. Right. Sounds
0: like Canada so 10 years from now. Better to go to Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> wow, wild. Yeah, wild. It's yeah. hilarious. But the, well,
1: the Burj, that, that is quite the building. Yeah, yeah. Something to see, I bet. Eh? Oh my God. Yeah, totally. It's like, it, it well, you know what? A lot of that stuff around there, it doesn't look real. Like, The first time I went to Dubai was on our second trip to Burma, where we stopped in Dubai just to to refuel. And it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. It was in July, October, and it was 42 degrees outside at 2 a.m. That place is always just like the hottest place on earth.
3: Yeah. So, I Mm. mean
1: yeah it looks nice and everything but if you go outside most of the time you can't stay outside for quite a while right because of the conditions and then you look at all the buildings like when I was there the airport and maybe one hotel the rest was just desert sand with the odd you know flame shooting out of an oil dirge somewhere you know like you know at at midnight or whatever um Hmm. and uh it's it's unfortunate, though. I mean, when you go around to places that are being constructed, most of these places all have East Indians that have gone there to put things together, that, to build everything. And then if you see the places where they're living, oh, my gosh, you know, it's like five guys to a, a yeah. two-bedroom apartment or whatever. I've seen or, a documentary. Right? Yeah, it's just uh, so eye-opening, right? And the crazy thing about all those places, <clears throat> it's only a few hours from home now, right? Fly over and true you're there. Yeah, true enough. Yeah. What a world. Yeah. What a world we live in. Totally.
2: Danny, you've had quite a
1: career, buddy. Well, thank you. I mean, so have you. No, hey. it's just <laughs> incredible. It's just
2: incredible to see you and uh, and have this chat. You know, I'd love to have you back and we'll talk more about filmmaking. and.
1: Sure. Anytime. Yeah, I'd love to. Okay. This is always special. You
2: really have
0: lived a very cool life. Oh, well, thanks. It, it sure sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's very cool.
2: Well, before we go,
0: before we wrap up, can you. Do us the pleasure of signing our table.
1: Do I have to make a poem? No,
2: you don't. <laughs> you can. You, yeah. And you can also draw a picture as evidenced oh. by everyone else. Oh, yeah. my god. You can think of something that nobody's
1: no, I, done. I didn't know there was going to be a test. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Don't stress about it.
2: Hey, i you know, do what you got to do. <laughs> We'll do this side because this side's gonna be worth money for we'll so it. went right over on the, right? on the wall.
0: <laughs> well that that's a good that's a good point, but anywhere it's really yeah, it's fine. Just
2: anywhere up do it up here, Danny, where there's a room, brother. No, he likes oh, yeah. it down
0: here by the edge.
2: He likes <coughs> living by on the edge. Yeah. For those listening, that's Danny's Sharpie scratching the table. Yeah. For those watching. I'm sure we're on a wide, but seeing Danny sign the table.
0: I love it. I love what he's signing. I can't even read it here. My balls rested here against this board. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love it. I didn't know what to do.
3: I that's, love it. No, yeah. That's perfect. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: And yeah, you're. Uh, you know, uh, you have nice balls, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, I, I
1: noticed them. I thought they were concealed. <laughs> yeah, but they've been right there Dang. the whole time. <laughs> I knew that thong was a little loose.
2: <laughs> uh, you guys are crazy. Okay. All so, right. Thanks, uh, guys. Got it, D. Danny. Thank you, man.
1: Hey, no worries. Whew.